<laughs> Sorry, well, Caleb. Good thing neither of us are editing the show. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Kafasis is back on the show, a co-founder of uh, Rokamiba Software. Paul, you've been on the show many times. I don't think you've been on in, in quite some time. I, I think I was on some kind of a list. I'm not sure what I did. I didn't rip up a picture of the Pope or anything, but, you know, I don't know what I did, but I, I'm back. All right, let me see here. I've got a list of, of uh, former guests. This is episode 214. Oh, you were just on. You were on episode 112. <laughs> well, we should have we waited 10 more episodes. We could have doubled the number. Uh, or we should have done it two episodes ago and made it a centennial. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know what took so long. I will have to speak to the scheduler. Um, but it is good to have you back. And we're, it's not a complete coincidence. We're, we're celebrating the release of a new Rogue Amoeba app, uh, Farago. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You are. F-A-R-R-A-G-O. That's right. And, and where does the name come from? Uh, well, it's actually a word that means – it's a word that nobody knows. Uh, it's an English word that means basically sort of a, a melange or a jumble or – you know, just an assortment of things. Uh, we we were, you know, toying around with a whole bunch of different names, as I'm sure anyone who's named anything has experience with. You you try everything. <laughs> the so. Mac OS X dictionary uh, says it's a confused mixture. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got slightly negative connotations, so it's not quite like, you know, a medley. But right. most people don't know the word, so we're hoping to get away with it. <laughs> All right, and the app, it's a Mac app that is a uh, soundboard app. And if you don't know what a soundboard app is, a soundboard app is, that's my handing it off to you. Oh, I mean, it's its the perfect thing for, you know, just... It, basically, if you want any sort of audio effects in your in your audio, you're recording a podcast and you just want to have some great sound effects like... I really think this I, is I, just I, just what my show needs. I do. I've, I think you, I think you need to to get ten times as many sound effects as you have now, and that's really going to draw the listeners in. I think it'll re- greatly greatly reduce the complaints about the speed at which I speak and the number of times I pause before speaking. Marco, if you if you could uh, just toss Marco, in sound effects anytime you need a break, yeah. I've long suspected that Marco added that smart speed thing just just for my show. <laughs> for you, <laughs> solely for you, right? It should be like the talk show, uh, the Gruber filter. Just take out the uh, the long pauses, and now we now we can fill them with farts. Absolutely. Well, so so we were talking about this before the show, and I I, I pulled up you know half a dozen, couple dozen different audio effects to, to fiddle around with. So I, I got to figure out how to sprinkle them in lightly. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to go too nuts with it. Right. But the idea here is, is not just that you can play sounds at any point, but you, you've obviously, as, as everybody listening can, can hear, you've piped it into the audio pipeline that you're recording. Um, you know, it's, you know, and that's, uh, we could talk about the, just for people who aren't familiar, some of the other apps Rogamiba has that's right up your alley. Um, but then, you know, so at a technical level, you got to understand the way sound works on the Mac. But I think more importantly is that it has a gorgeous user interface. Uh, effectively, I, 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 you know, correct me if you, if you think, you know, you've obviously put tons of thought in this and I've put about five minutes into like looking at it and saying, cool. <laughs> um, but in, in effect, it is sort of like a user interface design app for people who need to play sounds at a moment's notice. So you can arrange 
you know, pick the sounds you need, arrange them in the way you want them to be, or that makes logical sense to you, maybe not to anybody else, but you can pick this logical order and you have a big visual interface and you can color code the sounds by category or whatever. And you've got these big click targets. So it's, you know, you don't have, it's not like a little tiny thing you have to, so if you really want to play a sound right away, it's, it's got a big, uh, fits his law target as, as they would say. Yeah, and also the the way we sort of anticipate people be using it is via the keyboard. So everything's mapped right to your keyboard. So it sort of turns your keyboard into a, basically like a sample machine. Right. So if you're if you're looking at the visual on screen and you say, okay, I you know I, I know what I need, and you can see what key you need to hit right away. So that's it's certainly playable via the mouse, but uh, the keyboard is really the sort of the primary way to use it. I think. And by default, like when you first like first run the app, does F map to fart? <laughs> our sample set actually does not have a fart sound in it i had to download that separately uh you know we've got we've got the the uh you know we've got all, all sorts of we 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 came up with i'm trying to look at our sample set i think it's 25 sounds and we were scouring the the internet to find good sounds and to find things that we wanted and some of the feedback I got after the app was released, about probably about a dozen different people said, oh, this is great. It just needs, you know, mm. X sound. And it's like fart noise it needs. It needs a toilet flush. Uh, so really, we need a, another sample pack of like the really goofy or juvenile noises that we did not include in the first go around. I had, I had, a, I had a brainstorm. And as usual, it came way too late. We're, we started recording uh, roughly an hour and 20 minutes after I told you I, we would be starting to record I had, a, True. I had an eye doctor appointment that ran late um, and various other shenanigans going on here in the city of Philadelphia, which we will get to in a bit. Um, and of course, so an hour and 20 minutes after we were set to record, as I come down to the podcast cave, shuffling my various beverages and, and trying not to trip and fall, I suddenly realized what we should have loaded the soundboard up with. And it's, it's uh, clips of my wife laughing on just the tip. And then we could oh. make it. We could have made it sound as though she was here with us and just loving she could have been what part of the episode. No, just but all <laughs> just loving what we're saying, just dying of laughter every step of the way. Which probably oh, she would have hated that. Right? It would have been she, perfect. Oh, would have driven her nuts. Because I mean, when she listens to the show, all she hears is. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, if you, if you could make her look a fool, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, that would have been pretty good. Anyway, as usual, dollar day late and a dollar short. <laughs> um, uh, Farago, 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 Farago came out two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago today, yeah, actually. Uh, how's it doing? Uh, I haven't bought a boat yet. <laughs> so, you know, if, uh, if the listeners are, are intrigued, get, get your 1,000 copies and all right. then I can each and then i can get my boat i know the answer to this question but i'm going to ask it as though i don't uh direct download direct purchase mac app store or both uh, direct download for free trial as with all of our software uh direct purchase from our store and this app actually could potentially be in the mac app store but it is not in the mac app store um i mean i don't know how deep you want to get into this but we've we've had two applications in the mac app store and we pulled one of them out because the changes that they made in terms of the rules in the Mac App Store made it not viable to stay there. And, and so that, we have that one app, remaining app. That app was Piezo, right? Yep. So that was that's our simple audio recorder, which is actually the recorder that I'm using right now because my version of Audio Hijack was all 
nah, let's just call it messed up. Uh, so that was in the Mac App Store specifically to make it possible to have a recorder that was that skirted the uh, sorry that uh, followed the rules of the Mac App Store, and yeah. then those rules changed, and so we eventually had to pull it out because the app was not able to be updated. So we said, all right, we'd rather have a functioning app, a mm. properly functioning app that is available directly than a crippled app that is also in the Mac App Store. That's a similar uh, it's a so, similar story to our good friends at Panic, right? With uh yeah. I believe with Coda, their code editor with remote file connection file serving connection stuff. Um effectively had to be pulled at one point from the Mac App Store, even though it's it's an acclaimed it's app. A, it's an FTP and a web editor. Right. I mean, like, right. you wouldn't think this sort of thing would run afoul of right. App Store rules, but here we are. But you've written publicly, I believe, about Piezo's success after being just going direct download, direct sale only, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I actually just just this afternoon we posted a review of last year, of oh. 2017, and I was rereading that the post that you're referring to. It was a post from February of last year, just about a year ago. And two years ago is when we pulled Piezo out of the Mac App Store. And so after a year, I compared our revenue from the year the last year when it was in the Mac App Store and the first year when it was no longer in the Mac App Store. And the result was that we actually earned more revenue because uh, our sales were our raw unit sales were slightly down, but the difference was not so great that we didn't earn more revenue because Apple takes thirty percent of every sale that you get in the Mac App Store, and yeah. he, when we sell it directly, we're getting somewhere around ninety five percent of the revenue. So it's not terribly difficult to with to make more money, uh, even if you have slightly lower sales, you're probably going to earn more money on those sales. So. And as usual, where we, where we are, as usual, many caveats apply. The the rules for games might be entirely different than for utilities like Piezo. Um, but the bottom line is that the Mac App Store, wherever it is on the scale of zero to one hundred as a success for the Mac development community, it is absolute. I think I I can't. I think it's undeniably not at the point where it is eating the non-Mac App Store market. If anything, the non-Mac App Store market is as strong as ever. Like, Well, and I, I think has has started to eat some of the app store because right. you mentioned, you mentioned panic and we pulled an app out and, you know, I'd have to look back, but there's, you can probably find a good dozen fairly major apps that BB were in the app store that, right. that, that, that then left. Exactly. Just right. like that. Right. Uh, I should try to find it. Rich Siegel, uh, founder of BB, co-founder of BB Edit, uh, Barebound Software, had a great talk at Singleton. But at God's, Singleton is Max Q talk, yeah, yeah. But Singleton, how many years ago was that? Jeez, uh, I think it's probably about three or four at least. So it's not at even least, that yeah, recent. Right. And it, and it was a great talk because effectively it was like an, a half hour talk about why he took BB Edit out of the Mac App Store and went back to direct downloads. And I don't even want to try to summarize it because what made it such a great talk was it really did take half an hour for him to make his point. 
And, right, right. And, and, you know, yeah, and exactly. that I, I won't I won't summarize it either, but it's right. I, I'm sure you can find a link and it's definitely worth a watch if you're at all interested in the Mac App Store or leaving right. the Mac App Store. Right. But if anything, peak Mac App Store was early on in the days of App Store. And and one of the fears a lot of us had was that if man, if the Mac App Store really takes off and and Mac users just abandon direct downloads and outside the Mac App Store payments and only buy stuff from the app store it really it's it's not about the 30 percent or it's certainly not only about the 30 percent but it's just about boy would that make people whose livelihood depends on selling independent mac app store feel uncomfortable about having their entire livelihood in a store that is clearly never going to be better than the second favorite at apple right absolutely yeah the the ios app store is clearly what they're focused on and the mac app store sort of seemed like, hey, we did this on the phone, so we might as well try it on the Mac. And I think you made a great point that, let's see, I think it's been, I want, was it 2010 or 2011 that the Mac App Store came out? Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to screw it up. It was around, it was one of those two, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Uh, but it was quite a while ago at this point. And when it came out, everyone said, okay, let's get in there. You know, the iOS App Store has been such, such a success. Let's get in there and this will get our app in front of everyone. And uh, and I think a lot of apps did get in there and then over time realized, you know what, this isn't doing a whole lot for us. And it's taking a decent chunk of our both our money and our energy. Yep. And that's when you've seen apps sort of peel back. And yep. like you said, the, the peak was was early on. And I think since then, it's been fairly uh, slow. And, and yep. there certainly hasn't been any major app that I've seen that has only been in the Mac App Store. In a um, long time. Is... Pixelmator Mac App Store only? Ooh, that's a good question. That's it's certainly possible, but right. I would bet that they focus on the Mac App Store but still and, have a direct download. Anyway, your memory is excellent. The Mac App Store was announced at Apple's Back to the Mac event October 20, 2010. That was the episode that was the uh on the event where uh I believe Craig uh, Federighi first appeared on stage and he had a sort of a, a shaky uh a shaky demo. Uh, he's gotten much. He's gotten much better at the at the onstage performances. Yeah the um, the backstory behind that wasn't really so much that he was nervous, but that uh, there was like a last minute software change, and he realized that it didn't work the way they thought it would. It was sort of like you know, like the the rule, like don't change anything in between rehearsals and demo. And it was right. like they thought, well, we can change that. And then he realized on stage <laughs> that, that we shouldn't have changed that. Anyway, he has gotten a little – he went from being like, wow, why did they put him on stage to, wow, he should be on TV, right? <laughs> anyway, October 20th, 2010 was when it was announced. They began uh, taking submissions in November 2010, and then it launched then January. in January 2011. Yeah. So your 2010-2011 yeah. confusion was actually more accurate than picking one or the other. Yeah, and and you're right. I, I was just looking. Uh, Pixelmator Pro is it looks like only in the Mac App Store. So that is that is certainly one that is uh, it's sort yeah. of uh, the exception that proves the rule. Maybe. Yeah, well, it's a complicated story. Uh, I think Sketch is in there. I don't think Sketch is only Mac App Store, but it, no, it is definitely not. Sketch definitely isn't. Yeah, it. Well, it's it's worked out in a weird way. I don't want to do what, spend too much time on the Mac App Store here, but it it just seems like gosh. Now we're seven years in, and seven years in, it like it, it it's sort of like a like a nowhere, you know, like it's not a failure, but it is absolutely not put a dent in not the a independent market. Not a big success, 
Right. It's just sort of weird. I, I don't and think actually, that was no, expected. You, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, I'm not, I just looked at that one too. Sketch actually is one of the ones that left the store. Oh, that's right. That I that's remember. right. That's they're right. One of the, they're one of the fairly large ones that left. That's right. Because they wanted to, sh- they wanted to switch to a subscription model that the app store doesn't really s- support or something. Exactly. Like that. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's why I knew that sketch was on the, there was something about it. Exactly. Yeah, something about it. Well, so that, so the, all this is sort of tangential to what you originally asked, and and you know, uh, Farago is something that fits within the confines of the App Store at least currently, but for for us as a developer, as developers, it has not been a priority to get it there. And uh, I was looking back at a post from several years ago, and somebody was saying, "Oh, you know, this isn't in the Mac App Store. You know, no one's going to buy it, or I'm not going to buy it, and you're you're crazy. This is where this is where the puck is going, et cetera." And it was pretty amusing to read because, you know, that's not the way that it's worked out. And uh, fortunately for us, we've been able to continue selling this stuff directly. There, I mean, there's a part of it. I, I, you know, I've been in the, the racket, as they say, and I understand the, the – when you're on the side where Apple's taking 30% from the price you set for the app you made, it, you know, it, it feels a little high. Um, but – I totally understand from the user's point of view because I personally still enjoy buying, buying apps from the Mac App Store because I love the simplicity of knowing, like, if I bought it from the Mac App Store, there's one place to go to re-download it on a different machine or, you know you know what I mean? It's just one central place to, to, to check for that. And that is very convenient and I do trust it, you know, and I know I'm not going to get spam from the developer afterwards. Right. Not that I buy a lot of apps that I suspect I'm going to get spam from the developer for, but I understand the convenience of it. But no, absolutely, and and it's certainly something where it's not something we shied away from. And you know, we've mentioned that thirty percent a bunch. That that was never a sole reason to avoid it or anything like that. It's a it's right. a high number, but it's not so high that you'd say, "Well, the heck with that." Right. But that coupled with you know a half dozen other issues that you face as a developer makes it a whole lot less appealing right now, yeah. and it's not something where like iOS you have to be there to get to users. So yeah, fortunately we can avoid it. All right, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. You are never going to believe who it is. It is our good friend. It's, it's the Mac App Store. It's the Mac App Store. <laughs> Squarespace. Look. It's the new year. It still counts as new year in early February. And if you people, you know, I think it's cliche that people, you know, make resolutions and they're setting out to do new things. But I think it's true. I think it's absolutely true that it's, you know, the wintertime is a time you reflect. You think, hey, I want to set out. I've got this project I've always been wanting to make. Something like that. Or you want to redo like a website you already have. Uh, Squarespace is a fantastic platform to go try it out on. First, it's terrific. Second, it has unbelievable design uh, features. And third, it, they do it all. They do the hosting. They do um, the – you can do domain registration there. They have their own stats and analytics uh, package and – I've seen it, and the presentation is so good because it's not just about, like, with analytics. It's not just, like, do you have all this X, Y, Z information? It's how is it presented to you? Is it, like, does it make any sense? I'll tell you the truth. I, I still use Google Analytics at, during Fireball. I, I honestly don't understand how to use it. I've been using it for, like, seven years, and I go in there, <laughs> and I, I, honest to God, feel like I'm reading Greek or something like that. It's terrible. 
everything at Squarespace is so easy. It is so clearly made from a company that values good design every step of the way, not just in terms of you having a good a website that looks well-designed, but that everything, when you're, your billing interface is well-designed, your back-end stats interface is well-designed. It, it's just so clear sometimes when a company only values design at the very, very front-end customer-facing part of their business, and they don't care about it at, at the rest of the way down the line. Squarespace is a company that is all about design really is. Um, when you get started at Squarespace, you can start with a free trial and you can build the site. You could just, it, it, there's no limits to it. You could build everything, everything, you know, there's no, there's no catch on the free trial other than that it eventually ends. Um, and you can just go to squarespace.com to get started. And when you do sign up to pay, that's the point when you want to remember this code talk show at checkout and you can get 10% off. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, just remember that code talk show and you get 10% off your first purchase, including a purchase for up to a year of service, which, so you can get like, you know, 10% of a year off big, big bucks. So my thanks to Squarespace. <laughs> I've got some follow-up. I've got some important follow-up from last week's episode, episode 213 with, uh, John Maltz, who hadn't been on for a long time either. Um, I I mentioned, do you, do you, there was a podcast a few years back. Do you remember this show, Paul? It was called You Look Nice Today. I am familiar. It's a show, I figured you would be. It's a show that uh, it was the first, it was actually, this is actually, people don't know this, it was actually the first podcast. Um, these These three lads invented podcasting a little over 10 years ago, um, featuring... Uh, Scott Simpson, Merlin Mann, and Adam Lonely Sandwich, Lisa Gore, all three of whom have been on this show, uh, I think a few times, including Scott, who happens to have been on a very special episode of this show uh, that was recorded with the with um, you. It was me, you, That's and right. Scott that Simpson. The Velocity Hotels episode. That was the Velocity Hotels episode. We came up with the idea. It was a fantastic idea that we never really followed up on. But we were going well, to... now has been stolen. And it has been I, stolen. I, I have lawyers working on this, but I don't know if we're going to see any money out of it. The idea, if you don't remember this in the Velocity Hotels episode, is uh, um, that we came up with the idea that, you know... Why, why are hotels only fixed in fixed locations? And what if, you know, you're on a trip and you need to get from point A to point B where you stay in a hotel at point A, you get a good night's sleep, uh, you wake up, and then you've still got to get to point B. Well, what if your hotel could be a bus, a large motor coach perhaps, but not like you're sleeping on like a, a Greyhound and just reclining in a chair. You'd get a nice little luxury seat sort of like those, uh, those uh, first-class cabins on, on Emirates. Oh, Airlines. yeah, like a lay-flat bed. Yeah. And and maybe there's a lobby bar in the back of the bus. So before you, you tuck in, you could have a nightcap. Um, I, I, it was a fantastic idea. I, and it, the truth is, as you've pointed out, that there are some competitors. While we've been sitting on the idea, some competitors have come out. And um, we, I, do we have lawyers on this? I, I, I do. They I, I don't know exactly what they're doing. I, I got laughed at kind of a lot. So I'm not, it's not clear if that was laughter as, you know, they're going to take these people to the cleaners or, yeah, I, I hope that's what it was. Well, anyway, 
while uh, John Maltz was telling a story on the show last week about how he does not enjoy cherries, but he does enjoy cherries when they are soaked in bourbon and put into a cocktail, um, which does sound good. And I asked him just for just for specificity, even though I knew I kind of knew the answer. I suspected that he was talking about regular cherries. I wanted to make sure he didn't mean mar- maraschino cherries, which are no, often used as a cherries. garnish in cocktails. And he said, no, regular. And that reminded me of an episode of You Look Nice Today, and I brought it up, uh, where where the lads on You Look Nice Today were, were talking about a, a cocktail they invented just for the listeners of the show. And I, I, I've conflated two cocktails, unfortunately, and that's what I need to follow up. I, I said it was called the Aunt Nancy, uh, like your dad's sister Nancy, the Aunt Nancy, and that involved um, uh, a fistful of cherry of maraschino cherries ice and top it off with maker's mark um turns out that's not the aunt nancy that was from a later episode of uh you look nice today that drink was called they called the shirley temple of doom i think there's some ginger ale in that is there not nope that's the aunt nancy the aunt nancy oh is that okay this is why you conflated it i see right this is why i conflated it the aunt nancy in fact and I, i will put this link in the show notes there's a gentleman who runs a uh a you look nice today index where he went back and re-listened to their episodes and indexed topics. The, the, unfortunately the aunt Nancy, I, I happened to re-listen to the episode on, uh, the home pod I've got upstairs as a matter of fact. Um, it was, I also of, gave it a listen because it was better than anything else that was going on. <laughs> it was ambiguously defined in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but as best as anybody can determine, the Aunt Nancy is ginger ale and maker's mark served with lots of cherries. But a, also <laughs> a plastic drink sword. You know, those little swords they use as a, you know, to, to spear a garnish. Uh, so you, on one of those, you put a buffalo chicken wing pre-dipped in ranch dressing and then a second sword kebab um, with eight spearing eight mentos. And then you put that together and there, there you got it. That's the best definition anybody has of an Aunt Nancy. The only required elements, this is sort of like when you're talking about like an old fashioned and you, you know, there's uh, bourbon or rye, 20 different variations on it, sugar and bitters, but then other variations on the old fashioned. Some will include a muddled up orange or cherry or something like that. Um, the required parts are not the ginger ale or the maker's mark. It's just, no. it's just the speared buffalo chicken wing pre-dipped in ranch dressing and the second sword of eight Mentos. And you could pretty much mix that with any alcohol that you wanted to, and, and I think you could still call it an Aunt Nancy. And I also so believe I, there's, there's some ambiguity about whether you can also substitute a chicken tender. for Right, a, there is definitely ambiguity wing. about chicken finger versus chicken wing. yeah. yeah. And I, I, while I was listening to this, I had to raise a couple objections because my parents are from Buffalo and they would roundly chastise me for not pointing out that it's a chicken wing. It's not a buffalo wing. Uh, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's the Philly cheesesteak kind of thing. But, right. you know, uh, my mom always makes sure to point out that buffaloes do not have wings in case anyone is confused. And ranch dressing is all wrong. It's blue cheese or it's nothing. <laughs> Uh, and then the, the third issue is I don't think you can spear Mentos. <laughs> Mentos have a hard shell. <laughs> so, so this is a 10-year-old episode of a mildly popular podcast. <laughs> but we are doing some deep-cut criticism up some, and critiquing of it. Stirring up some significant controversy. 
Absolutely. But I do I do want to <laughs> praise them because in the episode, uh, there was a reference to a domain, buttholevideo.com, <laughs> which a decade later, almost one full decade later, still leads to this episode. Buttholevideo.com. Buttholevideo.com. You know, uh, click you know, that and it will take you directly to this episode. I'll bet you 10 bucks Merlin registered the domain. Merlin is... Uh, he's a domain hoarder. And he's also very good at it. If by good you mean actually keeps them and keeps paying for them, perhaps... For, forever. By, by some people's definitions, the people who are good at domains are the ones who forget the ones they've never used and stop paying for them, but... I was going to say, I bought VelocityHotels.com for that episode that we did, and I checked it, and I have not been paying for it. So I guess it's a question of whether or not I'm good at it, but I have kept the 30 or $40 uh, that I would have been paying. So I, my wallet thanks me at least. So, so in the show notes for this episode, do I just leave buttholevideo.com <laughs> as an item in the list of links without any explanation? I, I think I must. No context. No context. Um, I also, and a minor correction on the Shirley Temple of Doom uh, is that I believe the official definition is not a fistful of maraschino cherries, but instead a a shitload of maraschino cherries. (laughs) It's sort of like mixing up teaspoons and tablespoons. So you don't want to get the wrong proportion. You want a shitload of maraschino cherries and maker's mark and I guess some ice and that's it. And and that no, is see, I, that is the drink I'm, I have in fact seen Scott Simpson order several times. Oh, frequently. But I'm looking at Merlin's picture of a Shirley Temple of Doom, and there is ginger ale. So I yeah. think the Shirley Temple of Doom and the Aunt Nancy are remarkably similar, yes. save for the speared yeah. meats and candies. Yeah, I, I and then I actually was trying to Google this, and it's actually impossible to to Google. You you can get to the Aunt Nancy. Even though usually most of the – you Google like Aunt Nancy recipe and it's seriously like somebody's Aunt Nancy's like recipe for pumpkin pie. (laughs) And there's absolutely no (laughs) – there are no Mentos involved. Um, Oh, and I should also mention for those of you who are curious about the the chicken wing – uh, garnish that what that they are, their idea for that is is not necessarily that it's a flavor enhancer for the cocktail it's something that while a, a, like a mixed crowd of adults and children right that, it's a distraction right that you could you know if mommy needs a moment you know mommy needs a drink she can order an aunt nancy and then take the chicken wing out and hand it to little joey and he'll have something to you know keep him quiet anyway which i think is a genius idea quite frankly um Here's my point. If you Google Shirley Temple of Doom, there's a ton of people who've come up with it, – it's too too obvious a name, or, you know, the pun. I don't know right. what you call that when you connect Temple of Doom with Shirley Temple. And you Google it and there's actually a, an entire slew of people who've used this name to define a cocktail. And the cocktail – they bear no similarity whatsoever. They're just people who thought of the name. Whereas the Aunt Nancy to me is a genius name for a cocktail. And I kind of feel like – I kind of feel like it's up to me and you, Paul, to sort of. Uh, I, I kind of feel like this this definition in the guy's index of "you look nice today" ought to become the official Aunt Nancy. Let's let's combine them together. We'll have ginger ale, Maker's Mark. Uh, I would just go with a splash of ginger ale, frankly. I, I you don't want to put a lot of ginger ale on a drink. Mostly Maker's Mark is what we want. Yeah, splash of ginger ale. Uh, uh, 
Maker's Mark, a shitload of cherries, a kebab with a buffalo chicken wing or small chicken finger. Uh, now, do you want to? Do you think that we should say ranch dressing or blue cheese? I want to nix the ranch. I'm, you want I to nix say the ranch. Blue I'm not a fan. Nothing. All right, blue cheese or nothing. But di- but remember, this is for children. And- <laughs> And blue cheese is a pretty strong flavor for for children. Ah, oh, you make a you make a good point. I'm going to say well, that the, if, if we're gonna, making the cocktail for children, we can go with ranch. Let's just nix. Let's just nix the the dressing. Let's just nix it as a, as a, you know, and and then it can be as up a to required an, element. Dressing of your choice. You know what I mean? Like you can get a martini with a blue cheese stuffed olive, and that's not necessarily <laughs> canonical, but nobody would question that it's still a legitimate martini. It's just up to the right. The absolutely. Choice. Uh, and what do we do about the Mentos? I, I really don't think you can spear Mentos with a plastic sword, and I, I don't want to make that a requirement. And then right. suddenly, no one can make this drink. Is there a spearable candy? Ooh, uh, Starburst that have been sitting in your back pocket. Yeah, you, I don't you think really the bartender. I think up. that's against. I think. I think that's going <laughs> to. I think the bar is going to lose their A rating, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I think Starbursts are a legitimate. I think Starbursts are a legitimate uh, substitute. I, I hate to speak for the "You Look Nice Today" boys because they're all good friends, and I don't want to stomp on their intellectual property. And I know that they have very good attorneys, but uh, I, I think Starbursts, uh, off the top of my head, is a good idea. And I'll tell you what, it adds it adds a little bit of uh, of chance to the drink because you don't know what flavor Starbursts you're going to get. And it's it's going to help the kids even more. You know, they they get their they get their dinner, yeah. they get their chicken wing or chicken tender, and then they get a little dessert. Yeah, and they'll, they're going to be barking for those starbursts. But you got to tell them, you know, not until you eat that chicken wing. I like <laughs> it. All right, I say we redefine this. See what the boys say. See if we can get an official get the and then you know see if we can get this into some cocktail books. Some cocktail books, exactly. All right. All right. Um, uh, what else do we have to follow up? This one's <laughs> nowhere near as fun. This one is so much nerdier. Uh, there's an app called Nuzzle that Moltz and I talked about, which is an app that it's uh, I really like. It's uh, you you let it have your Twitter Twitter credentials, and then Nuzzle keeps track of the people you follow. And at a th- you know a, a threshold, you can specify if four people that you follow in the last four hours have posted the same link. Nuzzle will send you a notification of it. And then when it, when you just want to see what's up, you can go and there's like a homepage where it, it, maybe they haven't reached the point where they would have sent you a notification, but you can see a list of linked articles in order of how many people you follow have recently tweeted the link. And it's a, truly, for me at least, the people I follow, an interesting source of information, a way to find interesting breaking news. I said that they, they don't use the WebKit browser. Um, turns out they do there's an option that you can turn on so that it does support the new sf safari view controller which is the in-app browser that looks like safari and supports content blockers and and stuff like that um you have to go to settings view stories with safari and in most cases they'll use safari view controller but even then they don't use it all the time because they also have a view that includes a little dingus at the bottom that shows you which twitter people you follow are the people who linked this that you can 
you know, so you could see who are the people who linked this so that it's in your list and you can tap on them to see what their commentary was on the link too. And when they show that view, they still use the old web view that's kind of janky and shows a lot of ads. But anyway, that's, that's, that's my follow up on this. There's a reason I don't do follow up most weeks. I just like the. <laughs> And yet we've got three of them today. Let the errors. Well, this next one I think is going to be very interesting to you. This seems like something that knowing you, you're going to have strong opinions on. This one I might have let fly, except I knew that with you on the show, we could have a good conversation about it. And this was that Moltz and I were talking about um, uh, me complaining about a trip to the bank to deposit a check. And I, I knew this. I knew this, but it kind of slipped my mind during the show because I can't help it. I try not to be too American-centric, especially these days. Um, yeah, but I knew this and it kind of slipped my mind, which is that, and then maybe this is news to some of you who are Americans that the rest of the world, the rest of Western civilization moved away from checks as a means of conducting banking about tw 20 years ago. <laughs> and so the idea that we still conduct business by checks, there were numerous listeners of the show who simply expressed <laughs> I like laughter. Like, yeah, it's like finding out that in America they still don't have indoor plumbing, <laughs> and that literally what I want to do, what I would like to be able to do, is take a write myself a check and then take a picture of it and submit it through an app, so I don't have to go to the bank and effectively do it electronically. But even in that scenario, I'm <laughs> I still have to rip out a. a check a piece, a piece of paper, of paper. <laughs> and write it and sign it and then authorize it on the back uh, just to do it. So well, that, uh, that's what I was going to say is I've got, I, I get, I'd have to think about how many checks I get in a year. It's not a lot, but I can do bill pay or, you know, a, a online deposit of them by taking a picture with my phone. Right. But this, the, the fact that I have to get this artifact in the first place and then I digitize it with my, you know, thousand dollar pocket computer send it to the bank right i mean that's we're still we're still uh we're still dependent on this ridiculous piece of paper right that has almost no security features and, uh I, so what's the follow-up on this though just yeah we're we're backwards and yeah sorry and it's embarrassing it truly is and it's just but i don't you also think i i, I just looking back on it the idea of checks are absurd I mean, at a certain point, all the concept of money, you know, we, it's like, you know, we can... You don't want to think about it too much. You don't want to think about it too much. It's it's a collective shared illusion. But uh, checks in particular just seem... It, it just seems crazy that when I was a kid, you know, half the time uh, when I'd go to the supermarket with my mom, you know, somebody, oh, no. somebody in front of us was paying for the groceries with a check and it was just... <laughs> They, they would just let the person walk out of the store with $150 worth of groceries with a, uh, here, I put my name on this piece of paper. I'm good. <laughs> yep, you're good. But, John, they, they usually made them write a phone number on there, too. Yeah. Yeah, we're now, gonna... Not necessarily their phone number, but a phone number. We're going to call this number that you wrote on here. If this stuff, there's any problems with this check. <laughs> it, it was kind of crazy. I mean, and it's just crazy now. Like, imagine if, like, one of these new payment systems came out, like Apple Pay came out, and Eddie Q was up there on stage. Um, <laughs> and he's like, we've got this is a great new system. Uh, you just type in how much you want in your, your iPhone, and then you go down to the share menu, and you hit print. 
go to your go over to your printer and now you've got an Apple Pay certificate and you can take that to any store and they're going to take it and they're going to file it away in a register and they're going to take it to their nearest Apple store at their nearest convenience and we'll turn it into cash. Like it, it the idea that there's paper involved in this is just nonsensical. It's crazy. So anyway, we understand. What was the the check you were depositing? It was just a payment, a partner payment from my Daring Fireball company to, to, you know, to me and Amy's personal account. So it was even your own money. You're transferring money between your own accounts and you still had to do it with a check. Well, and a bottom line of this, and there were a couple other people who commented on this. One of them said, and the problem, we can't do the electronic thing because our personal checking has like a $500 limit on the checks that we can scan. So like relatives. Yeah. You don't want to get too much money into your own account. Right. Like a grandparent sends uh, Jonas a check for his birthday or whatever. We can scan that and it goes right into, you know, our account because, you know, we're not going to give the money to him. Um, No, of course not. But any kind of serious, like a, you know, anything that would count as a paycheck, uh, you know, it's over the limit. But a couple people have said that they had the same problem, but if you just go to your bank and say, hey, I want a higher limit on this, that they have a lot of discretion. I never tried that. It never occurs to me to try stuff like that. Like a bank tells me, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't think I'm, you know me, Paul, I'm not really like a, a strict toe-the-line rules follower, but I just assume but a, that when... But a bank's rule just seems like... It doesn't, it, right? it doesn't seem negotiable. When a bank tells me you can deposit up to $500, I just think, well, that's a, that's a stupid rule. <laughs> I, it doesn't even occur to me that it, you can't do it. Do you, you know, think we should be trying to negotiate, like, better interest rates? Yeah. I, <laughs> is, that, is that an option, too? Right. Like, can I do the same thing with my mortgage? Is that possible? <laughs> can I just go I'm and just say— I'm just not going to pay one month. Yeah. Uh, so what are you going to do about it? Like, can we make this work? Well, what do you say I only pay in the months that have 31 days? Because that seems like the full value of a month. <laughs> I'll still pay now the I same a, number. Now i got a task for after the show. This is good. I'm going to call my yeah. bank, see what happens. Well, that's it for follow-up. Anyway, checks are ridiculous. We know it, and I, I, we don't know what to do about it. I'm sure Trump will get we'll, on we'll, it. We'll fix that right after we fix our health care system and our immigration system. And our... <laughs> Our elections being hijacked by Russian propaganda. But it's we'll get, fourth on the list, right we'll after right, those three. We'll get right on the check. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Why don't I uh, – I'll take a take another break here. Seems like as good a time as ever. Um, I'm going to talk to you about another sponsor of the show, Casper. And boy, does Casper have a deal for you. They have a special limited time – President's Day offer. This is the first time they've ever done this. I think it's the first time they've done anything like this, but they've got a terrific offer. Um, Casper is a sleep company. They make three lines of mattresses now. They have the original Casper, the ori- the innovative Wave mattress, and the streamlined Essential. But they're not just a mattress company. They also offer sheets, pillows, uh, and even bed frames. They are the place to shop for President's Day mattress savings this year. It's the, I don't know why. President's Day seems to be like a big mattress promotional period. Well, Casper's on board. Uh, and they make these mattresses uh, right here in the United States. They're designed and made right here in the United States. Uh, and you can be sure of your purchase with whatever you wind up with. Um, 
with their 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. And returns are hassle-free if you're not completely satisfied. Uh, it really is that easy. You just buy it. It shows up at your house. You unpack it from the clever little box and wait for the air to fill up the foam. And boom, you've got a mattress. And if you don't like it, they'll just take it right back. you got 100 nights to try it out. Uh, really is that easy. And it really is a terrific product. Great company. Uh, we've got Casper mattresses here in the house. Everybody loves them. Uh, guests love them. We've got people in the guest bedroom right now for uh, Super Bowl parade. Uh, I, I worry that maybe we shouldn't have a Casper in the guest bedroom because maybe we have too many people coming back. Uh, maybe we should get like yeah, you a, got a real lumpy mattress <laughs> in the guest bed. I think we. That's I think where you we, get the the piece of crap from the from the I, retail store. I think we made a. I think we made a terrible decision with that. Uh, that's how good these mattresses are. Uh, so for a limited time, visit Casper dot com slash savings s a v i n g s Casper dot com slash savings, and when you do that, you will receive up to up to two hundred dollars off your purchase of two thousand dollars or more. This special offer expires February 20, 2018. So if you're listening to this show brand new, fresh off the uh, the internets, you're fine. Uh, if you wait a couple days, if you're getting close to the deadline, don't wait because this offer expires February 20th, 2018. Uh, and you got to see casper.com slash terms for more details about this special promotion. Uh, so go to casper.com slash savings. And remember, it expires. This special promotion expires February 20. All right. HomePod is coming out on... Uh, Friday, two days from now, probably a day after the show airs. I've had one for a little over a week now, a review unit from Apple after a uh, a trip to California where I, I also got a tour of Apple's quote-unquote audio lab, which I didn't really talk about in my review too much. A couple other people did. I've got some links in here. I thought um, uh, Dalrymple's review had a good look at the you know, a good summary of the behind the scenes. That's what I was hoping. I was hoping that somebody else who was on this tour would would have, you know, written that aspect of it up because it was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. What are you curious about? Wow. I, I think I'm most curious to see how it does. I mean, we've seen, like you said, these reviews are out now and there's probably a good half dozen to dozen of them. And certainly none of them are glowing reviews that say you have to get this device. Right. And I think, you know, that's that's a pretty high bar obviously, but you know, that's something that I guess I maybe I maybe I've got rose-colored glasses on, but like when the iPhone came out, uh, were there what, do you remember what the reviews were like for the first iPhone? Well, they were severely limited. There were only four people who got it. It was Pogue, Okay, yeah, right. Pogue, right. Edbeg, Mossberg and uh, Stephen Levy, who was at the time at Newsweek. Right. I I don't think they quite knew what to make of it. I do remember that they the four of them got together and, and on the 10th year anniversary, and I did reread yep. them, and none of the reviews had any clunkers in them. You know, nobody, none of those, and I think, you know, Apple was, you know, wise, and they knew it, they knew they were getting four smart people to review it. So nobody had the knee-jerk reaction of every other phone on the market has a hardware green button for making calls and a red one for hanging up and why in the world, you know, something stupid like that. Why in the right, world doesn't right. this or phone the, have this? You know, the, there's the classic iPod slash dot review of 
I can't even remember exactly what it was, but like uh, uh, less space than a nomad, something. Yeah. I don't even remember, but yeah, it was like lame. it was like ten words that they all they all turned out to be just foolish sounding after the fact. Right, and nobody wants to touch on glad they, they were they, the reviews were good i think the reviews saw the potential all four of them saw the potential and were pretty good but none of them were like you should run out and buy it because i feel like the the 6.99 or 5.99 starting price of like the four gig model was still exceedingly high by cell phone standards because it wasn't on any kind of contract and i know a lot of people today are no longer buying their phones on contract but that's that's after 11 years of like weaning us towards having 500 to 1000 dollar cell phones after you know it, whereas 10 years ago everybody was used to buying quote unquote 29 dollar cell phones that you know were right. 29 dollars on contract from Nokia and your carrier or whoever um but everybody had this mental model that your cell phone cost you know, like $29 or maybe if you got an expensive one, like a razor or something like a few hundred dollars, but the idea of a $700 cell phone was so, seemed so outlandish that I think they were hesitant to tell people you got to go out and get it just because it was too much. And I think it was too hard to, to foresee at the time how people would see value in that in terms of it really replacing your laptop for many purposes. Right. Well, so so anyway, so I, you know, I was thinking about this because the reviews currently out for the HomePod have not been tremendous. There's good aspects. You know, people are talking about how high quality the audio is. That's, you know, that makes sense. They're doing a tour of the audio facility there. And uh, it, it certainly sounds like it sounds great. But in terms of just comparing to what's already on the market, it certainly isn't blowing anything away. So I'm I'm curious not I, I I've got one coming on Friday. You know, I need it for work. I don't know that I'd get it for myself, but I'm curious how it plays out over the next, say, three to nine months, more than just any individual thing on it. I don't know. Is there anything specific that you? I mean, you just wrote a review of it, obviously, right. but is there anything specific that uh, jumped out at uh, jumped out to you that uh, was interesting? Or I, I guess one thing that you mentioned was being able to give commands to it without sort of yelling over the music yes. if you're playing music that, so that's, yeah. that's that's one that was interesting to me I'm, I'm interested to experiment with that even if i don't know that it's something that's super useful it it is super useful i think if you ever plan to play music at a even reasonably loud volume um and it's it really is uncanny i think that's the word i used in the review it's it's it works uncannily well because it you don't expect it. I didn't expect it to be able to work better than human ears. So imagine mm -hmm. if if you and I are in the same room where a HomePod is blaring music relatively loudly and you're standing eight feet away from me. There's a certain volume that I'm going to – if I want to say to you, hey, do you want another beverage? I'm going to say it at a certain volume that I think you'll probably still hear me um, – and I, you know, and I think I'm, I think, you know, anybody who's lived life for a while is pretty good at, at getting that volume about right, you know, where you don't sound like you're screaming too loud, but you're speaking louder than you would without the music on. Whereas with the HomePod, you can say, hey, dingus, whatever to it at a volume that if there was another person in the room, you'd have, you would, you would never think that they would hear it. Or they might hear that you're saying something, but they would never understand it. 
Right. So that's that's definitely interesting. And it sounds like from what you said and from your experiments with it, that, you know, it's fairly impressive. And it's not something that I saw, at least that Apple had touched on or that Apple had. Is that something that they at least mentioned to you or yes, is that something they, that you discovered? No, from? they mentioned it to us. Well, to me, at least to my group, at least while we were in California. Um, OK. Yeah, it's and it is. It, at an engineering level, and I think it's I think it is inextricably tied both to the hardware of the microphones and the software, you know, the the software running. It's it's a version of iOS. It's like a lot of these other gadgets Apple's come out with, where it's really running a variant of iOS. The version number right now is even eleven point two point five, the same version number as the version on your phone, as you the know, phone. The iOS yeah, on your right. phone. Um it's a combination of the mics being really good, the mics being oriented in a certain way, and the mics knowing exactly how the seven tweeters and the woofer are oriented. Um, and you know, you know, and it's one of those funny things where Apple wanted to. I'm not surprised that they're not like making it a major advertising component, but they definitely wanted us to know about it. I definitely noticed it in the demos that Apple performed for me that they, okay. it, you know, she clearly, the woman who was doing the demos clearly wasn't speaking, I thought, loud enough, but it was hearing her almost perfectly. I mean, there were a whole bunch of commands and there was like one or two she had to repeat. Um, but it was, and, and I know, and the other thing combining that is that firsthand as a year-long owner of an Amazon Alexa... Mm -hmm. With the Alexa, it's not that you have to scream, but you have to talk at least as loud as you'd have to talk to a human being over the same volume of music. So you've got, uh, you've got. I think you mentioned you've got an Echo in the kitchen. Do you have how many? Do you have throughout the house? Like two or three? Yeah, we've got one in Jonas's room and another a dot in the living room. But the living right, room and the it, kitchen are on the same floor, and it's 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 maddening because I'll be in the kitchen. The same thing happens to Amy is we'll be in the kitchen and we'll say. Uh, you know the Alexa name. Uh, hopefully, I said that in a way that won't trigger people's things. Um, right, and then whatever at a relatively sane volume, and it's like for whatever reason, the one in the living room at the other end of the of the floor uh, is kicks in, and it's like what? It's like crazy. I, I don't understand how that's possible. And does the kitchen one not kick in, or do they both kick in? No, it's only the one, the other one. I, I don't know how that is. It's very strange. And it doesn't happen all the time. It certainly doesn't happen most of the time or I would have thrown the things out the window. But it, it happens enough that it's crazy. And it's like, and one, well, so way, is... one way it manifests itself is like Amy certainly sets the most timers because in the kitchen because she, she cooks more things that need to be timed. Um, and I think what happens every once in a while is she'll tell it to set a timer Um and thinks it didn't hear her, and then she'll tell it to set the timer again, and it hears her, and it goes off. But meanwhile, the the dot out in the other room, I don't know, 30, 40 feet away, heard it too, and nobody's in there, and it set a timer. <laughs> and then, like, you know, 15 minutes later, the, the dot is making the little alarm sound, and it's like, who the hell did that? <laughs> anyway, I... Well, so I'm interested. I'm interested to hear. You know, you've like you said, you've had these uh, Echo devices for for about a year, and you've had 
uh, did they they just gave you one HomePod to test with? That is correct because it's right, right now, um, and the HomePod we got for testing is running the production software that will be on the ones that come in the mail on uh, in two days on two days, or that you can buy in a store in two days. Um, so because ours are running, which is the way I would prefer it, I would not. I would be. I would have been very uncomfortable. I don't know what I would have done, in fact, because I... I, I right, throwing in caveats of, you know, I'm <clears> testing <throat> something that's not yet available. Right, I would, have, I would have... If I was running one with, with a pre-release version of 11.3 with the uh, AirPlay 2 stuff on it, I would, have had a, I would have mentioned it up front, and I would have had to mention it every step of the way. I, would have, I, I don't know. It would have made me uh, very... I, I don't know. So I'm glad. And I think that the same reason that I'm glad is the reason that they gave us the production firmware or whatever you want to call it. So anyway, they only gave us one because there's really no point to having two yet. I mean, I guess well, you could set it uh, up mean, as two independent devices, but it's not really going to help you review anything. Sure. But so in your, in your actual use case in your house, you, it's, if you've got three different uh, Echo devices, uh, it, I guess that's sort of the question is, does, do you think and does Apple think that people are going to use this in the same way that people use an Echo currently or use a Google Home currently. No. Or it, exactly. And and because they've been so focused on the music aspect of it, it really seems like, you know, maybe you only get one of these for the house and you put it wherever you have your biggest TV or your stereo system if you still have one of those and uh it sort of joins in that way as opposed to Amazon's idea that, you know, maybe you have one of these in every single room of the house. Right. Although I think you could have them in multiple rooms. Um I think it, you know, I think it varies greatly by the layout of your home. Like, do you have this sort of floor plan where putting one in the dining room and the kitchen and having them sync together to play the same song at the same time makes sense? Um, we kind of do. Uh, that, that might make sense for us to have two that way because from our dining room, you can walk right through to the kitchen, but if we if the if the home pod was in the kitchen, you wouldn't really consider it a, a source for music in the dining room and Outside vice versa. Of the kitchen, right? Right. Um, so I, I think it comes down to the fact that it really is music first. It really is a thing that's meant to be playing music. And I think the other thing I think that you mentioned that the one place where I feel like the home pod really doesn't fit is in the, the room with your TV. Or at least not unless you want to use it completely separately from your TV. Like when right. I sorry, that is what I meant. Yeah, right. that's as as the same way that you know you might have a stereo there that is uh, at least in my mom's house she has a TV here and a right. stereo there, and they're completely divorced from one another or, or completely unrelated to one another. But it's where you do your your listening <clears throat> or your or your viewing. Right. Uh, but right, yeah, that, that was that was something interesting that you wrote about was that it's not designed to hook up to your TV, and this is a super high quality speaker that doesn't have an input and can't really take audio from your TV short of having your Apple TV send to it. Right. Uh, which is, I don't know, you, you had talked about not having a line input because uh, Apple, you know, is thinking that everything's going to be wireless. And that's, I, I get that, but it's a pretty cheap part to add to this. And when everything else on this is fairly high end and you, you know, you could say, well, I just want to be able to take my, uh, device somewhere and, and plug in audio to it without having to wirelessly send to it. I, I, I don't know. That's one that uh, it wouldn't make me not purchase it if I were interested to purchase it, but it seems like something that doesn't necessarily make sense to cut the same way that uh, they made some changes on like the phone where, you know, a headphone jack 
supposedly at least had something to do with waterproofing. Obviously, you're not waterproofing the HomePod, so it's there's not a an obvious reason to cut this besides the idea that, no, we just want everyone to focus on wireless audio to this thing. Well, I think there's also a simplicity angle, though, because if you have a line in and then you're pumping your TV to it and it, you're watching a movie, what happens when you say, hey, dingus, play whatever to it? Does it start playing the music you just asked it to play or does it keep playing the tv input on line in and what happens when you tap the top of it which typically does play pause does it stop and how would top how would tapping the stop button on a speaker getting a dumb line in signal right go back to pause the tv it couldn't so, no, that's that's certainly a good point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I I do I mentioned it in my review. It does seem wasteful if you want to put it in a room where you already have a TV and some kind of speaker system. It seems wasteful to add another wholly independent speaker system. It is right. You know, what is that word? I was going to say duplicitous, but duplicitous means you know, like deceitful. <laughs> oh, uh, superfluous. Du- superfluous. Right. It does seem superfluous. Um, but I get it. I think it's for a simplicity where it's always just playing either what you tell it to or acting as an airplay speaker. And acting as an airplay speaker never well, – I don't know though because you can set Apple TV to talk to it as an airplay speaker. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I don't feel like – I feel much stronger. I feel like getting rid of the headphone jack on the phones is the right – Wait, I, I feel like it was the right decision last year. I really do. On the line in, I'm a little bit more ambivalent. I'm a, I'm okay with this product not having it, but if it did have it, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that they were sticking with an older technology for no good reason, like I would have if they didn't get rid of the headphone jack. Okay. I, I'm more yeah, ambivalent that... about it. Um, what else about it? I. I do think if there's one thing <coughs> – excuse me, Paul. There's one thing I mentioned – I saw in a couple of reviews. I think Matthew Panzerino's in particular, which was really interesting to me because he knows – and I knew this. Like you know, like a, a career ago, he was actually working as a salesman in a, uh, you know, like a high-end stereo shop. So he really knows a lot more about uh, why – speakers one speaker sounds better than another or where one speaker sounds better and another one doesn't and why and stuff like that than i do i just kind of listen to one listen to the other and think well i i can tell i like that one better i just i don't know right um but he mentioned something and i think it's absolutely true is that um and it's just the layout of our current house just and where i could try it i don't really have a smaller smaller room um and in a small room, it, it, and I saw, I heard a couple of demos because, you know, like when Apple demoed these things for us, um, it was in an actual house. Like they, I don't know if they rented it or whatever, but it was in a real house of, of real dimensions, you know, and had real furnishings and stuff. Very, and I think very typical, you know, I don't think it was, you know, there was nothing weird or, or set up about it. Um, Including some I mean, they room. had cameras on every inch right. of it, and you, sure. you're in all sorts of videos now. But <laughs> right, but they had like a downstairs with, with like a like a very modern floor plan for a living room living floor, where the kitchen flows right into 
the living room without a wall, just with like a kitchen mm -hmm. island between them, which is, you know, I, I've been, I know so many people who have a floor plan like that, which is a bigger, a, a bigger, big, much bigger space, more risk for more ways that you could get echoes. And then a smaller room upstairs, which would be just a very, very typical, or they even had a bedroom. There was even a bed, you know, a very typical bedroom and then maybe like a very typical home office type room. Um, and in those smaller rooms, it, it was really more uh, startling how good it sounded. And I, in my personal testing at home, it sounded good. It sounded better than any other thing I've tried in these rooms. But I feel like our our place is a little bit has more space, it, bigger rooms, and more echoey rooms. So that's one thing too. Is there's a lot of you know, the smaller your room, I think the better this thing is going to sound. And it really is almost sounds phenomenal. And and the effect of not quite coming from a single point is way more pronounced in a smaller room. That's a, that's the other thing that I remember from the demos. And it's not like it fools you into thinking that there's two speakers on two sides of the room. You could close your eyes and point to where the HomePod is, right? Or like if, if you're in a, you know, a small room and there's one HomePod and somebody spins you around like pin the tail on the donkey and they're like, where's the HomePod? You'll, you'll get very close to it when you point it, but it doesn't sound like it's coming from a tiny little seven-inch point. It really does have a dimensionality, a 3D-ness to it that, that seems like something, you know, a, a next level up in small speaker design. So do you think that so all these reviews have talked about you know this audio quality and and apple touted this and it sounds like that is true that this has phenomenal audio quality and better than you know the other devices that are out there certainly better than the cheaper devices that are out there uh and sounds like better than even the devices that are comparably pr priced from you know the google home max and and sonos is that enough to make this thing sell though i don't know i've i I've, i thought before i started my review uh, just knowing what I knew, you know, bef you know what Apple had said coming up to it, and up to the point where I met with their, you know, engineers, and and the next day got a briefing and and headed it home with my review unit. Before it and after it, I, I really, I have, I, I don't know what I would, which way I would bet on how successful this product would be. My guess is that the best case scenario is a sort of slowly building hit, sort of like Apple Watch, you know, where. Uh, although without that initial, like uh, Apple Watch debuted with like a, you could, you know, all of a sudden it was back ordered six weeks. Right. Everybody wanted that up front. Right. But then once that subsided, it was sort of like you didn't really see a lot of people with Apple Watch the first year. But then it seemed like through word of mouth. I, it's the sort of thing that I feel like you need word of mouth for and that people might come to your house and if you have a HomePod, they might be really impressed by it and think, wow, that really does sound good. I might get one of those. Um, but I could, I, I could see it all the way to being, you know, the iPod 2, Hi-Fi, the iPod Hi-Fi 2.0. Right. You know, that Apple built this thing that they seemingly spent a lot of engineering time on and seemingly are very proud of and really think people are going to like and people just don't want to spend 300 plus dollars on something that just plays music from Apple. And was that? I'm trying to remember. Was that four ninety nine the iPod Hi-Fi? I don't remember how much it was. We could. I think that's. I. I. I, I don't want to. Uh, we. We should look it up. But it was. It was definitely. I think even more expensive than this, and obviously did a lot less. Right. Uh, that was literally just a speaker that that took audio from an iPod. Nope. It was. Three, uh, it didn't take commands or anything like it, that. It was three forty nine. 
Oh, was it? Was it exactly the same price? I guess exactly. I, I feel like I remember people saying that now that I now that I think about it. That's even funnier. My God, is it bigger? It's it's ridiculous how much bigger the iPod i5 was. Oh, it was enormous. Yeah, and especially compared to the device that you were you were putting on it. I I I never bought one of those. I, I had no desire to buy one. Um, but boy, I kind of wish I had one laying around because that would be a fun side by side review. Of uh, comparison test, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See how much better it sounds. Um, I thought Panzerino. I think it was Panzerino had another observation that I thought was spot on, where he described the iPod Hi-Fi's sound as being, I think he said, accurate. Um, wait, the iPod Hi-Fi or the HomePod? Oh, not the iPod Hi-Fi. <laughs> now you've got me thrown off the HomePod. Um. <laughs> uh, and everybody agreed. If you saw it, there were. If you read it, uh, the I'll put a link to all these, a couple of these reviews in there. But there was a strong consensus among everybody that the Google Home Max, which is their three hundred ninety nine dollar dingus, which is the, you know, fifty dollars more than the the HomePod, so clearly you know, fair comparison, is uh, way too bass heavy. You know, which mm-hmm. some people like, but it's like one of those things that's like. Uh, the TVs in the store being oversaturated because you're in there looking at 17 different TVs and the ones with the saturated colors look like, wow, that one has that other one looks bland. This one has pop. I want the one with pop, but you would never, it's, it's like inaccurate. You'd never really want to tune your TV that way. It's, you know, and, and I think it's also similar to the way that Apple has calibrated its screens forever, but especially like in the iPhone era where Apple, one of the reasons that they were one of the last, if not the last major phone company to put out a phone with an OLED display was that in the early days of OLED, while there are some advantages to battery life and certainly all along batteries are advantages to the richer blacks, um, color accuracy was really, really hard and really has only come in the last few years. And even though once it came on other phones, it still couldn't come in the quantities Apple needed. Um, Like Apple was never going to ship an OLED phone until they could ship it in the quantities they needed and with the color accuracy that they wanted. Um, And one thing I'm picky about color. I've always been very picky about color. And one thing I've noticed with the iPhone X now that I've had it for months is even when I see it side by side with anybody else who has like an iPhone 8 or a 7 or any other recent iPhone, is the one thing I don't notice is I don't notice any difference in color. I really don't. And, you know, I feel like that is exactly what they've done with sound on the HomePod, where they're being very, very fair to the original. They're not pumping up the bass. They're not doing other, like, the audio equivalent of sugar sweetening the audio. Right, tweaking it to make it sound supposedly better, but bastardizing it a little bit. Right. I would say that that's that's very fair. Um, I think the other thing that I got out of this, I feel like there's three factors in the decision of does somebody want a HomePod. One is, do you care enough about do you have a do you have a do you have a place in your life where a three hundred and fifty dollars speaker that sounds really good makes sense? And and you know, for some people that might be no you know might be nowhere. You know, you might not have a room in your house or an office where you can do that. You know, if you work in a cubicle or something like that, I don't, I don't think your cubicle mates are going to appreciate it if, if you set up a HomePod. Um, but it's going to sound great, right? And there might be people out there who like hear uh, the eighty nine dollar Amazon Alexa play music and say that's good enough for me. 
And why in the world would I spend four times more on this other thing? So that's one factor. Do you have a spot in your life where you're willing to spend 350 for audio that you, you would appreciate? Two uh, is the issue of where do you – where does your music come from? You know, if your music – if you're heavily into Spotify and Spotify keeps coming up over and over and over again in all these reviews um, because some of these other products support Spotify as a first-class, like, source of – talking to the device to play music from Spotify um, and HomePod doesn't. Um, there's no way you want HomePod, in my opinion. If you're heavily into Spotify and you don't want to leave, then I, I, I really can't see why you'd want to switch to HomePod, even if the sound is a little better. Right. Um, and conversely, if you are on the opposite, if you're heavily into the Apple music ecosystem, um, lowercase m, because I'll include in that the Apple Music capital M subscription service, iTunes Music Store, any purchases that you've ever made, or C, uh, any music that you own in your personal library, if you have iTunes Match or Apple Music, uh, they'll sync to the cloud, and then you can talk to your HomePod and have it play those. And in fact, I, that's most of the music testing I did this week, because I was so interested in that, is ha I had it play a bunch of... Um, Rolling Stones albums I have that are not and have never been available from the iTunes store. And it worked great. So if you're into because the Apple singing. system, yeah, and you could just say, and it's funny, it got smarter too. Um, I have an album, uh, I think it's a 1973 live recording called The Brussels Affair, recorded in Brussels. Um, one of my all-time favorite Rolling Stones albums. And the first time I asked HomePod to play the Rolling Stones Brussels Affair, I think that's what I asked for. Play the Rolling Stones Brussels Affair. Uh, HomePod told me that it couldn't find any music Brussels Affair. And I thought, oh, damn, this, this syncing. I, I thought the damn syncing feature wasn't working. So I thought about it, and I looked in my library, and the actual file name I have on the album is Brussels Affair, parentheses, uh, live 1973. So I said, um, I asked the HomePod to play Brus play Brussels Affair live 1973. And it said, okay, here's the Rolling Stones Brussels Affair live 1973. And it just started playing. And I thought, well, that's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but that's okay. But then like the next day I said, um, hey, play the Brussels Affair. And it said, okay, here's the Rolling Stones Brussels Affair. And then it it worked. Now, I don't know if it learned. I don't know if it just needed to sync. You know, if I asked it the first time before it was done syncing, I, I don't know what happened. Right. You know, and that's one of the things about these talking dinguses is you never know why why it works one day and not, <laughs> doesn't work the other day. Uh, well, so can I can I can I pick this bone that I have with you yeah, uh, about the HomePod? Well, before can, we, can did, we do, let's, let's save that. Let's save that. And um, I did want to mention. I wanted to mention one review in particular that I thought was kind of crappy. Was Brian Chen's review for the New York Times? Um, because I, I feel like all the other reviews, I largely agree. Even if I didn't agree completely, I thought they were all pretty accurate. And I thought Chen's review for the New York Times was way out of line because it was sort of like it started with him talking about using it to listen to music. And he said, you know, hey, play some music. And it played music he didn't like. And he tried to get it to stop. And instead of stopping, it said it, you know, didn't recognize whatever artist he's complaining about's album stop or something like that. Um, and then he kind of went right to like a 14-point comparison of trying to get these, you know, 
multiple of these the devices to... to to do assistant type things like create calendar events and um and stuff like that. And creating calendar events is something HomePod doesn't do. Now, I'm not saying it's not fair to mention that, but it's like his whole review was pretty much uh, comparing it. Uh, it. To me, it would be the equivalent of if he wrote a review of the the new Amazon Echo and quickly brushed over a bunch of, you know, something that Alexa does that uh, – you know, that does particularly well. And then just skipped right to a 14 point comparison of how good did the speakers sound? Right. And then that's the okay. whole review of it, it. Like it's, it's totally fair to mention it. And I think almost my review and very, um, various others, you know, were, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see how you couldn't mention that Siri does less on HomePod than Alexa does on the Echo products and that the Google voice product you know, which I feel like needs a name. Like, I don't know what to call it. They call it like the device is Google Home Max, but, and, and you address it as OK Google, but it's so right, much easier. It doesn't e- have a, a, a personified uh, Right. It's so much easier. Yeah, it's yeah. just a, a small aside from writing a long review about this is it's so much easier to write about the separation between HomePod and Siri and, say, the Echo or this, the, the Alexa-equipped Sonos One hardware and Alexa as the abstract service. I, I feel like I wish Google would fix that, but I, you know, I don't, I guess you could, I guess we could just call the service. Okay. Google. I don't know. But anyway, that's an aside. Anyway, I thought Chen's review was sort of deliberately written to make it look bad. Like there's no, I don't see how there was any way that HomePod could come out of his review testing looking good there. Cause he was trying things that he knew in advance. It couldn't do. Like, what's well, the point? but I mean, is that is that unfair if those are the things that he wants it to do? I mean, it's not like I he guess. went and said, uh, this car doesn't have uh, any storage space. So this is a two-seater convertible. So I'm going to try and haul, right. uh, you know, two tons of potting soil in it. Right. Uh, this is something that I think people who get a device of this type are going to try and do. And this is, it's something where it certainly is lacking and Apple definitely want, wanted to frame this device and I think successfully fl- framed a bunch of the reviews as, uh, you know, there's some shortcomings, but the audio quality is great. Or there, right. the audio quality is great despite other shortcomings. And his review was definitely, uh, it didn't really talk too much at all about the audio quality. said, you know, I listened to some music, that didn't work super well. And then Siri itself worked really poorly. Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you think that's a, about an accurate summary of, of what he wrote? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's a pretty accurate summary. So I don't, I don't know that, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It was definitely one of the harshest reviews of the device, but I don't think that he came at it in a super unfair way. I wouldn't say super unfair. I would say, I would just say a, 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 I just don't think it was helpful. You know what I mean? I I don't know. I I feel like I almost feel like the angle he took would be better as a follow up after reviewing it for what it is. And then having a column of what type of device do you want in your house that talks to you, which is two different things. Well, I guess to me, it's a question of how similar is this device to the Echo and the HomePod or sorry, and the uh, Google Home rather. Right. Uh, you know, are, th- are these really exactly the same type of device or are we getting down to the nitty gritty and saying, you know, you know what, there's actually virtual assistant devices that happen to play music and there's music players that happen to have a virtual assistant. And those are two separate things. Yeah. And 
I think to most, I, I would assume to most potential customers, those are the same thing. And, you know, it's just a question of which one of those you care about a little bit more. But that's a good way to put it. I think that's exactly a good way to put it. And that's try, how I tried to frame my review. And in fact, I even caught myself at one point where I, I in my review, I, I, in an early draft of it, I had that, um, that the HomePod and Alexa clearly aren't even in the same category. And I realized that the other day I had written that they are in the same category, but from different perspectives. Um, and so I caught myself and realized, so I, the way I reworded it and which I think is more accurate is that they're at opposite ends of the category, right? Cause right. you really like, I, right now we literally have the Alexa and the HomePod in the kitchen at the same time, both, you know, just mostly for testing reasons. Um, Feature-wise, because Amy is actually annoyed that the HomePod doesn't have the one thing she – one of the things she really likes about the Echo, which is being able to set multiple timers, which really feels like it's something that Apple could, could and should fix right away. Like with Alexa, you can say uh, set a potato timer for 20 minutes and then like a minute later say um, – uh, what else might you be cooking with potatoes? Set, I don't set the, remind me about the boiling water in 10 minutes or whatever. Right. And then you can say, uh, Alexa, how much time do I have left on the potato timer? And, it, and, and she will tell you. And on the HomePod, if you set a timer, you can't name it. It's only one timer. And then if you set another timer, um, Siri will say, you already have a timer with four minutes and 33 <laughs> seconds remaining. Would you like to replace it? Like that's your only option, and that's you know, pretty sure that iOS is an A8 processor could handle running two timers at the same time. <laughs> well, now I'm trying to think. Does the phone let you do multiple timers? No, the phone doesn't either. I don't think it does, right? Nope. No. So, uh, you know, and you know, it's a feature she. It's it's not a crazy feature. I don't think that's esoteric. You know, I feel like, and I feel like once you get, I hear this a lot. It's clearly putting these things in a kitchen is very popular, and setting timers is hugely popular. And it's just, it's just one of those like tiny little. You know, once you get used to, just to go back to it, once you get used to indoor plumbing, there's no going back to outdoor <laughs> plumbing. Um, you know. People have been cooking for thousands of years, and they've used various ways of determining how long to cook a thing. Um, but the idea of having to touch a device to set a timer is it, it once you go to just doing it by voice, it's so right. It, it just seems barbaric because you know a lot of times if you're in the kitchen cooking, your hands are might be covered with stuff, or you might not be near the device, or you know various reasons. It's just so nice, and it just you know. So anyway, that's something Apple's got to got to get them. All right, now can I now can I hit you with this thing? Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like this is a fantastic discussion. All right, so six no, I guess about eight months ago, the HomePod was announced, and uh, you had a post that I assume you will link to about uh, the HomePod having a touchscreen, and prior to the announcement. There were all the rumors floating around, and multiple rumors sites reported multiple rumor sites reported that it did not have a touchscreen. Unlike the uh, what is it, the Amazon Echo Show? I think is the one yeah. that has a screen, which you don't hear about uh, much anymore, by the way. In this whole yeah, that came out, and I don't know if it's uh, I don't know anything about that one except that it has a screen, and right. I guess it, it's it exists. Right. Uh, 
But so after this was announced, you said, uh, you know, claim chowder, it does have a touchscreen. And you and I had a, a discussion about this. And I said, I don't think that that constitutes a touchscreen. And you, you you stuck to your guns and you said, no, it, it, you touch it. And I don't know, you can summarize your own position. Well, I don't uh, think it was multiple rumor sites, though. I think it was German. It was German, uh, a Bloomberg report by Mark German and uh, Alex Webb for Bloomberg. And it was, I think, a, about a week before WWDC. And their okay. exact words are, ahead of Apple's launch, the competition has upgraded their speakers with support for making voice call, voice calls while Amazon's gained a touch screen. Amazon, Apple's speaker won't include such a screen, according to people who have seen the project product. And then Ming-Chi Kuo, two weeks before that, said, we also believe this new product will come with a touch panel. Okay. Uh, and then you wrote, HomePod has a touch screen on top. Right. After seeing it at at WWDC. At this was, I've posted it Tuesday. So it was like within a day of, of the keynote. Um, and I was under the impression, now this was, uh, I forget if I'd had my hands on, I don't think I had, I don't think they'd had the briefing yet. Maybe I did though. Maybe they did that on Monday. I don't remember when, in addition to the one that they had out there for everybody to walk by, but right. not touch. We also got invited in like little groups of four to hear it but not touch it, and we weren't allowed to speak to it or anything. Um, <laughs> but I saw the plus and minus buttons that you could touch for volume, and I saw the Siri, I'll call it a waveform, but the you know yep. primary colored circular animate, you know, swirly cloud animation, um, and assumed incorrectly that that was the, you know some sort of um, like the equivalent of an iPhone screen showing Screen, those things right. and that you know it could in theory you know show other things at at you know under other circumstances and i had no idea how it worked other than that they said you could touch it to do the plus minus but they wouldn't let us touch it so we couldn't see how it worked <laughs> so so you think i was wrong was definitely you think i was wrong i'm saying to you're say wrong on this it does not i I'm would say you're I, wrong i would say i am wrong it doesn't because i would not call the thing on top of HomePod a touch screen what Ming-Chi Kuo called it a touch panel is probably better. It's weird what to call it because it is it it, uh, it doesn't show arbitrary pixels. Uh, you know, I'm kind of curious for iFixit to get more curious than for most products to have iFixit take this apart because I'm curious what the hell is under there to make the waveform. Um, but what we've since heard from various birdies, not me directly, I think ATP might have had a birdie who said it, is that there's some kind of... LC color LCDs under there, um, but it's more like I don't know, like light bright type things, you know, like not pixels that could display anything that you know, like text, anything arbitrary, right? Or arbitrary information, but it's really only meant to create that Siri multicolored animation, and then some kind of diffuser that makes it look blurry. Um, okay, and like the plus and minus buttons are, I believe, just completely hard. You know, just they're just old fashioned buttons that are you know there's no, nothing Pressed else that plastic or whatever right they're not arbitrary pixels they're just you know plus and minus so i i looked this up and apple refers to it you can go to their tech specs and they call it the touch surface which i guess would apply to pretty much anything you can touch but uh it's definitely not uh, they don't refer to it as a as a touch screen because, like you said, I think that's that to me. I guess is the definition is that it can't display an arbitrary image, uh, 
And that to me is what a touchscreen can do. Um, like a touchscreen ATM can display whatever you, you put on it. Your phone yeah. obviously can display whatever yeah. you, you touch, draw to it. Touch surface. I guess that's fair. Touch surface. So touch panel sounds pretty much right to me as well. That's That seems like a pretty good name for it. Touch surface just sounds sort of meaningless, but right. that is the term that they're using. Right. Yeah, I, I think I was wrong. I don't think German and Webb were right, though. I don't think saying it doesn't include such a screen is right either because you can – there is a touch thing that they didn't mention. Well, well so the only thing that – they're – I think they're – I think it was poor writing, if anything. They're mm. saying the Amazon device has a true screen that displays right. the weather and whatever, right. and this, the HomePod obviously does not have that. Right. And if if you just showed them side by side and said this one has a screen and this one doesn't, you'd say, yeah, that's right. right. But because they're writing about things that they didn't have images of and right. uh, I think, like like I said, didn't necessarily – express it properly right. uh, then yeah i think i think you're right that it was not necessarily written the way that it should have been right you read it again and it sounds to me like they weren't told by someone what the home pod d- does present to you a siri waveform and plus and minus volume buttons but they were told that it doesn't present to you a um, what the amazon device does well i just kicked syrian somehow sorry about that <laughs> sorry siri uh, here's a weird thing with the HomePod that I, I forgot to mention in my review. Um, and it happened to me today, you know, which is really why I forgot to write. I'd noticed it before, but if you don't touch your HomePod or use it in a, you know, like a day, like let's say uh, I was using it yesterday and I went to bed and then I woke up today and did some work and then I went out and then I record a podcast and it's, you know, it's been like 18 hours since I've used the thing and I go in there. And if I just touch the top, it'll just start playing whatever I left off on like a day ago, 18 hours later. Right. And it, you know, and like I've, I've, I've run into it and I mentioned in my review that the, at least on the space gray run, the, the touch surface is a fingerprint magnet. And I kind of wish it was either matte finished or had a better oleophobic coating. It's I've run into it where I look at it and it looks like smudgy and I want to just, I kind of wipe it off and I just go to wipe it off and it just starts playing music real loud. It doesn't seem – I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like it should – it seems like that's – I could see where you. it would like wake up and maybe, maybe you know, Siri should say hello to you or something if it hasn't been playing for – I don't know what the threshold is. But there's some threshold in hours where if, if, if it hasn't been playing music, I feel like just touching it should just sort of wake it up. I'm not quite sure what wake it up means, but I – you know. You know, more or less the prompt you get when you just hold the side button on the phone. Right. I don't, yeah, think, I don't think it should just start playing. When it is playing, of course, it, tapping it to pause it is fantastic. It, it makes all the sense in the world. But just randomly starting to play when you touch it is, is surprising. Well, I'm interested to get it. I'm interested to fiddle with it. I don't know if it's going to be something that I wind up using or if it's something that I test with and then that's sort of the end of it. But uh, like I said, I'm definitely interested to see longer term whether this is something that, you know, do you think, how about that? Do you think they have a HomePod 2 in development already uh, with, I don't even know what features we think it would have, but, you know, do they? Do you think they have a, a chain no. of these or is it something no. I like think the it's, iPod Hi-Fi where they made more, one and that was it? I think it's more like Apple TV. And Apple TV... Okay had at least in its current incarnation since it went to like a you know a TV OS 
with an app store. It, it, it had a very obvious next generation model with support for 4K. Mm-hmm. I know there were other changes too, but just specifically going supporting 4K was an obvious need. And there's no such thing in audio, right? Like, so I wouldn't be, so, I, I think this is sort of like Apple TV without even the obvious 4K upgrade. And anything that's improved on this is all going to come on the software side in terms of either some kind of SDK so that other services like Spotify can can be addressed directly by talking to the device and so that apps um, like things like podcast players um, like Overcast and Castro can be addressed by talking to the device without having your phone nearby, you know, or even if it, even if it's only with your phone nearby, but some way where you can just talk to it. Well, so I guess the only, so thinking about the hardware, the only obvious thing that you could do to change it would be what we were just talking about is having some sort of display screen on it, which given what you said about the uh, echo show, not, well, I guess we don't really know. We have no idea how well that's sold or anything, but it certainly has not been in the forefront when you're talking about the echo. Uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like that would be the obvious no. thing to do with this. So, so yeah, it, it definitely does seem like software is where this will get upgraded. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. I don't know. The, the whole thing is interesting to me because they they've been talking. They they've said that they've been working on this for half a decade. Yep. And so it's it's very much not oh we got to play catch up with a virtual assistant. It seems more like oh we have this thing and we can you know add a virtual assistant to it. So we'll do that. That makes sense. Uh, but they didn't necessarily want to enter that virtual assistant market as much as they wanted to have a high quality speaker. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, a lot of people, people who are already invested in Spotify are very, very down on the thing. And I don't blame them if you really are. And, and talking to a couple of, I'm not, I, I, I have like a free Spotify account that I only use for poking around on it, but talking to various friends over the last week or two, some of them are really into Spotify. It sounds like Spotify has some fantastic features. Um, some really interesting features in terms of not telling Spotify to play, you know, having something specific to play in mind, but being able to tell Spotify what you're in the mood for and based on your previous preferences, it, it's like getting a radio station that is just perfect for you and it plays things. It's, that, well, it's, it's what Pandora, you know, claimed yeah. to do a decade ago and is still around and still trying to do. But yeah, it seems like Spotify has gotten the intelligence of, you know, music recommendations pretty well done. At this point. Right. You know, like, I guess the two main things are playing things that you do like, but weren't in your mind to ask for and like, oh, I love this song and be exposing you to new music that you that would you you might like. Whereas if you only ever ask for what you like or what you already know that you want to listen to right now, it's it's very different. And I'm not saying that that's how HomePod works. I mean, although that's how mostly how I tested it. Um you know, and a big factor in that though is the limit, the current limitation of HomePod um, only being tied to one iCloud account, which you know I spent a fair amount of time on my review, and it's I understand it, especially for a 1.0, but it's it, it certainly is obvious to me that the way this product should work is that uh, you know at least in the in the size of a typical household with you know two, three, five people. It should be able to have five people's iCloud music accounts and identify them by voice. And the competing products, and you know, you say, well, you know, this isn't uh, 
science fiction, but the other products already do this. You know, the Google products can identify people by voice and the Amazon and, and tie them to different I, I, Google accounts. So like with the Google right. products, you can tell it to add an event to your calendar and it adds it to your Google calendar because it both recognizes your voice and knows which Google account is yours. And then I can ask it to add event to my calendar and it knows my voice and can add it to my calendar. Um, so it's not like this, me ask, saying that, that the HomePod should do this is asking for something outlandish. It's something that competing products do. And for building are up... Any, are there any Apple devices besides the Mac that do profiles? No, I don't think so. Like your, your phone obviously doesn't. Your phone, that makes a decent amount of sense. That's your device, even if you have kids or something like that. iPads are one that people have been... I think clamoring for for years to have profiles I, on. right from the beginning. I remember people yeah. saying this would be fantastic in school, but how, uh, you know, why can't I have profiles? Apple TV is one where d individual apps definitely have profiles. You know, if you right. load up Netflix, it'll ask you who's watching, but there's not uh, an overarching profile where you can just say, okay, now Paul's watching, now John's watching, and and right. just show me my apps or show me my. Uh, recommendations or or whatever. I, yeah. It seems like something that they don't do currently besides on the Mac, obviously. Yeah, it seems like a, a blind spot for the company. I thought about that as an angle for the review that they're so, you know, their, their roots as a quote-unquote personal computer company really still show through to today, right? And like with the watch, it makes all the sense in the world, you know? Right. But with the TV, it makes no sense. And even with the way that they've changed their TV app in the last year to make it, try to make it like your hub for watching yeah, stuff. Right, exactly. From multiple sources, like pick up on the show you were watching on Hulu or pick up on this other show that you're watching on Amazon Prime or watch this new movie release from iTunes. It, it it's like it's based on the aggregate viewing of everybody in your house, not on you, which really doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And now I'm trying to remember OS <coughs> nine and earlier. Did that not have users? No, definitely did not. Uh, right. There so might OS have been is... some kind of weird, cheaty move towards the end that it was like in a. I wish Syracuse were here, but it was. There that's, might yeah, have that's been what a... I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Go back in time twenty years at this point, but there OS X is clearly where that's yeah. that's definitely built around individual users, and you have a home folder, and you can have ten home folders on your computer if you have ten people in your house, and everybody can use the same computer, and everybody and can be equal. You can even make everybody an admin. It's not an it's admin not, on it exactly. You can't. You, you're not even limited to well, one person can be the admin, and everybody else can be a you know non-admin user. You can even grant admin privileges to everybody in the house if you if you want and trust them with the computer. And the non-admin right, users and, and, aren't really limited from what they can do other than modifying the system software and installing apps and stuff like that. Right, whereas it the truly TV, is, like you said, that's that's yeah. the big one to me, that uh, the TV and the iPad where these sorts of things make perfect sense, but they, it, I think you're right, it's not in their DNA as a personal computing company. And no. I think in OS X, it sort of happened almost incidentally because they built it on Unix. Yeah. And Netflix has a great interface for it. Netflix, I, I don't, I'm not even quite sure what their algorithm is, but their algorithm seems to be if you haven't fired up Netflix, if you've, you know, we've got three family members on one Netflix account and, you know, you fire up the Apple TV and you haven't watched Netflix in a while, it'll say who's watching and there's, you know, the three of us and you pick who it is and then it shows stuff based on what you've watched before. 
And it seems like if you if you have watched recently, it just assumes that you're the person who was watching recently. But if you want to, you can go back and you know manually change it to the other person. Right. If you dip out of it to go back to the home screen, it doesn't immediately ask you who it is again. Yeah. But after, yeah, I, you're right. I don't know what the time is because I've never thought about it because it's always just worked the way I expected it to. Oh, my God. It was like a, like a year ago I had to sit Jonas down and say, you know what? Don't be lazy. You've got to switch this goddamn thing because my, my Netflix Oh, thing you're getting is, the worst recommendations in the world, right? It was filled up with 30 seasons of Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, Amy told me this, like Friends yeah. got big with the middle school crowd last yeah. year. Yeah, like last I year. I don't like understand. It was, it was like a nationwide craze. Jonas watched the entire series of Friends from first episode to last twice. <laughs> but he did like the first season of it on or first year of it or first run through the whole thing on my Netflix account, which and I, I honestly <laughs> have no interest in. In rewatching Friends, and it really he watched a couple other stupid things too, and it was all he understood it. That's the worst part. He totally understood it. He just didn't feel like going back, you know, one level, two it clicks just was, to get back to yeah. his profile. Son of a bitch. That kids ain't great. <laughs> uh, hey, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor of the show. Uh, it's our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is a company that you you send them your photos, they print them directly on glass and they do this each one is handmade with love and care in Gainesville Florida from US source materials and let me tell you something I've said this back in November I said it I think in early December but certainly November these things make incredibly thoughtful unique gifts it's win 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 because you get uh, it it's you get an easy place to go to to buy the gift the person you give it to your friend your family who you give it to gets a very thoughtful gift that's much more personal than anything you could just buy out of a store and they'll appreciate it. I'm telling you, people love getting these things. And then the best part about it is, is you can just keep going back to the well and giving them as gifts again and again and again. Like I've said before, like the worst thing about when you finally, if you're a bad gift giver, like I am, and you finally give somebody who you really care about a gift that they're like, and then they tear up and they're like, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, now you've got to top it, right? And you can't like, <laughs> if it's like a store-bought item, you can't just go and buy them the same thing again. Fracture prints, when you buy them as gifts, you can just keep going back and giving them again and again and again. Like if you've got, you know, kids you can take pictures of or dogs or, you know, uh, uh, if you go on a vacation with certain family members every year, just find a couple of good photos from the annual trip and make a fracture every Mother's Day or whatever holiday is coming up. Uh, it, it you can keep going back to the well again and again, and people don't they don't think twice about it. It really is fantastic as a gift. I, I can't emphasize that. It's also great for filling your own home with uh, pictures from your life. It really is. It, I can't say enough. And as our cameras get on our phones, especially get better and better, it's like you've got all of these fantastic photos, and all you ever do is look at them on a, a five inch screen. Uh, it's almost unbelievable how good um, a modern iPhone picture looks when it's blown up to you know eighteen inches or, or even bigger. It really does work. It, it's kind of crazy that we just look at them and flick at them at these little tiny index card size screens. Um, it's kind of stunning how big how good they look. Big. You can fill up all the walls in your house with these things. 
Really a great product. It comes. It's just a piece of glass. The picture is printed right on it, edge to edge, and everything you need to hang it up or display it comes in the box. They even include the wall, the wall hanger. It's a green company operating a carbon-neutral factory. Uh, visit Fracture.me. Fracture.me is their website. And save 15% on your first Fracture order with the exclusive code TALK15, T-A-L-K, for the talk show, 15 for the 15% off you'll save. Um, so don't forget to mention this podcast, the talk show, in their one question, where did you hear about Fracture from survey. It helps support the show and it helps them know that their uh, advertising money is being put to good use. So my thanks to Fracture for their continued support of the talk show. You've sent some fractures to us, I believe. Isn't that true? <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Amy and I did a an episode of Just the Tip that revolved around what we called the uh, fracture swap. And I was wondering where those are. Uh, the, I sent, I believe, the basically fracture sponsored the show and uh, they gave us uh, basically like a credit to send photos to one another. And she sent me uh, one large photo and I sent her, I think, uh, about five different uh, ridiculous photos that then we spent half an hour laughing about. But I was wondering where those photos are now. There's one of Danny DeVito's naked ass that should be hung in a prized place in your house. <laughs> I, I'm, they might be packed up, Paul. <laughs> I, don't, I bet they didn't make it through the move. That's my guess. And, I, and I'm, I'm hurt by it, but I understand. <clears throat> I believe one of them was Pete Rose, right? The all-time the hit king. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll include that one in the show notes. That was a good one. Pete Rose underwear model. He's a handsome man. I saw Pete Rose a couple weeks ago. I was in Vegas. Um, How's he, was, he doing? Well, he's uh, still signing autographs. And what's that go for? About 50 bucks a pop? I think so. It might be up to 100 depending on what you want him to sign. I think it might be a signed baseball. It might be 100 bucks. Very strange. Um Speaking of sports, we had the uh, we had the Super Bowl this last weekend. Did you uh, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did watch the Super Bowl. I'm in Boston, and so you know it's certainly fairly mandatory to watch the Super Bowl when the local team is in it. I uh, I was uh, out in Vegas for the Super Bowl, um, which I've done for the last few years. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I'm a little hoarse still. <laughs> uh, do you hear it? Do you, do I sound a little hoarse? You sound like you've had a, a weekend in Vegas. It's a bad combination because it's uh, dry desert air, and it's really the the last place I go in the world where people are still allowed to uh, smoke cigarettes in public. I, I personally do not smoke. I've I've never really smoked. Um, but there's a lot of it. It it, it you effectively pick up a cigarette habit. <laughs> So I don't know how much of it to blame on the dry desert air. I don't know how much to blame on the ambient cigarette smoke. And I don't know how much to blame on uh, yelling and screaming during during the game. But it was it was pretty wild. It was it really. It was I, game. I, I would honestly, I, in hindsight, though, as time goes on, you, you end an exciting game. You know, like, uh, you know, last year's game had a very exciting finish. And it had sort of a stunning fourth quarter. And you come out of it thinking, my God, that was an extraordinary game. And then as the time settles on, you, 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 it settles in and you're like, well, it was certainly an extraordinary fourth quarter, but it wasn't really an exciting game. The first three quarters were actually rather unexciting. 
Um, You're talking about last year's Super Bowl. Last year's Super Bowl. When the, where it was uh, a blowout for most of the game, and then, yeah. The, the Atlanta Falcons ran up a 28-3 lead on the, the New England Patriots right. until uh, late in the third quarter, I, th- I believe. I believe the third quarter finished 28-10. to 10. And so they still had an 18-point lead going into the fourth quarter, but they were, had been up 25 points in the, late in the third quarter. And then everything went to hell. For the Atlanta Falcons, um, whereas this year's Super Bowl was truly, I, I and in hindsight, I really, I even it, in a moment, it felt like it was terribly exciting throughout. Um, it was certainly terribly exciting for me as somebody with a large large wager on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, were you were you one of the million dollar bets? I was not one of the million dollar bets. <laughs> we were talking about that. Uh, that is crazy. That I. Uh, they, they said there were about a half dozen, and I think most more of them at least were for the Eagles. That was the so consensus. Good for those people, but well, it, word comes around. It's like you, you're you're when you're in Vegas for the Super Bowl weekend. It's just like I, I, it. Who knows what's true and what's not? It's not like you go into the sports book where you place the bets, and there's like a light up sign that says someone <laughs> just placed a million dollar bet. <laughs> But there's it, some kind of weird certainty that runs around where it's like somebody somebody will say, I, I heard somebody dropped a million dollars on the Eagles. And then you're like, really? And then somebody else say, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard it from my, uh, you know, my guy at the casino, you know, like his uh, casino host or something like that. Um, I, what do you think the mechanics of dropping a million dollar bet on? I, 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 we couldn't figure it out. Like you don't like just how walk. Do you, how do you back that bet up? Right. I when I placed my bet, which I could called and considered and certainly felt in my heart throughout the game a quote unquote large bet, my bet was pl- placed with cash. <laughs> <laughs> I, you certainly couldn't do that with a million dollars. Um so you, I don't know, you could. I mean, a million bucks is is like that's a suitcase worth. I think. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's what people are doing. Though. I believe that uh, you would have to set up some kind of a line of credit with the casino and and maybe do a wire transfer or something like that to an account, uh, and then I, I, I no, don't. You think, know what it probably is. I think they just write a check. <laughs> that's it. Well, it, my, I mean, this is America. You can just write a million dollar check and hand it to them, and they'll walk <laughs> it over to the bank. You've now you've 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 been in Vegas with me and you've you have placed sports wagers before and you and and when a normal punter like us goes up and you you maybe maybe you would want, like to bet a a hundred dollars preseason on the Red Sox to win the World Series and it'll pay I don't know what the current odds are I'll bet it some I bet a Red Sox ticket right now off the top of my head probably pays eight to one or nine to one. Yeah, so you something can, like around you could, a thousand bucks. You could play, you know, put a hundred dollars down, and then they'll print out a little ticket, and it's it's like a almost like a receipt. It's a little white piece of paper with the that heat type printing on it. Um, right, thermal printed. That's super high quality. Printed. Right, and then there's like a little uh, the equivalent of a QR code at the bottom, and it tell you you bet a hundred dollars at nine to one, and then you can hold that until the World Series is over. And if you win, you can either fly back to Vegas and cash it in, or you you can mail it in, and they'll they'll send you a check for your nine hundred dollars. Um, I'm gonna guess when you place a million dollar bet, they don't just <laughs> print out a little thermal printed slip of paper. I, I, but I would love to know what they do print, right? How, what, what do they do? And just think about things. Think about this. Let's say I go out and I bet $1,000 on the Eagles. And uh, the game is over and the Eagles have won. 
but I've got a flight to catch. I could just hand you the ticket and I'll just say, Paul, just send me that thousand bucks. And I'm, I'm off in a cab to the airport and you can walk right up to the counter and hand it over. And then, right. There's no verification. Just having possession of the ticket is all you need. They'll just pay you the, uh, the thing. I'm going to guess you can't do that with a million dollar (laughs) bet on this. No, I think, I think it's like a bearer bond. You know, whoever has possession of that slip of paper. It's worth a million bucks now, and and that's it. And actually, I guess that's the question: was was it a million dollar? Were the bets? Did they put down a million dollars? And then how much did they win? Well, there's different ways to bet. So the two ways to bet on a game: uh, if you take the point spread, and then right. in this game the Patriots were favored by four, and the, that meant if you bet on the Eagles on the point spread, you could add four and a half points to the final score. In terms of right, the Eagles could have lost by up to four points. Right. So if the Patriots had won by three or even four, they would have won the Super Bowl and they would have been very happy. But if you bet on the the Patriots, you would be unhappy because you would have lost right. your bet. And then the other thing you do is they call it the money line, where instead of any point spread, it's you bet on the team that wins. And the way that it's adjusted for who's favored and who's the underdog is it pays different odds. Um if I recall correctly from Sunday, the Eagles – I know what the Eagles went off at. The Eagles were called – were at plus 165, and that means a money line bet on the Eagles for $100, if they won, would pay $165. So however much you want to bet on it, you'd multiply it by 1.65, and that's your payout. And the Patriots were the other way. I believe that when the game started, they were at minus 190, meaning you had to bet $190 – to win just $100 if the Patriots won. And the, right. The so if you, would, if you bet a million dollars on the Eagles at 165, you would get back 2.65 million. Is that right? That is correct. Because you would give them right, the okay. million. When you place the bet, you give them the money. So they are, they've already got your million dollars. And they're, right. they're, it's sort of like an escrow. Where by escrow, I mean in you know the casinos. <laughs> in the vault. <laughs> in the vault. <laughs> And then when it wins, you go over there with your little thermal ticket, and they'll pay you. <laughs> and the ticket will say, you've bet a million to pay $2.65 million to win $1.65 million. You give right, it to okay. them, and then they'll, they'll sit there and count out $2.65 million in $100 bills. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't know why, why we didn't do this. It sounds, it sounds like loads of fun, and you wouldn't have been at all nervous when the Pats – Threw a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Oh, God. I was dying. Because it seemed like exactly the sort of play that they, they, would, they, would, they, would, they would make. It make really the completion, did. get the two-point conversion, go to OT, win by six. Right. Uh, with, the, with another touchdown just like last year, yeah. Well, yeah. so this is interesting, though. I, I mentioned we should talk about this because you live in Philly and I live in New England. But you're a Cowboys fan. That is correct. So if anything... I mean, you said you placed a bet on the Eagles, so I guess you're rooting for the Eagles. But if anything, you should be rooting against the Eagles. I know I have I have plenty of friends who are Giants fans who are rooting for the Pats, which felt weird to them. But I re- well, I re- I remember specifically. The, it's funny. The last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, I don't remember the year. I think it was 2006, though. I could be wrong. 2005. I don't that was know. it. Was against the Pats, right? Against the Pats, and I was I've never been a fan of the Patriots. I was ambivalent. A bit ambivalent about that game. I don't remember which way my gut swung, but it wasn't very hard in either direction. Because I don't like the Eagles because they're a division rival of the Cowboys. And I 
right. as a as a Cowboys fan in Philadelphia, I have numerous friends who who we have uh, friendly rivalry about that issue with. Um, and I I don't like the Patriots because they cheat. And <laughs> to be honest, I really don't like the Patriots because as a Cowboys fan, what I really like about the Cowboys is that they uh, are a historically great team and that they've won five Super Bowls. And uh, I would like for the Cowboys to be the team that has the most Super Bowl victories. Um, but right now, the Cowboys have been stuck at five since, I don't know, I was like 20 years old. It's been a long time. Um they're in a very long extended rut, stuck at five. I believe when they last 94, won. 94, right? No, 95 or 6. 96, I think. Is that right? I think right? they won okay. in 93, 95, and 96. Um, no, no, no. They won, they won in two – they won back-to-back years because that's where I was going with this. Right. Was that they played the Bills two years in a row. Right. And they had the blowout against – so so I mentioned my parents are from Buffalo. So I grew up a Bills fan and had the love of football just beaten right out of me. <laughs> because the Bills lost to the Giants, to the Washington Redskins, to the Cowboys in the biggest blowout in history. And right. then I was actually at Super Bowl 28, which was in 94, I'm pretty sure, and uh, watched them lose their fourth Super Bowl in a row. Right. Which so is astounding. I, I mean, it's an incredible feat. Right. Uh, probably never be equaled. Just right. getting to four Super Bowls in a row is tremendous. In a, in a league, in, in any league, it would be impressive. But in the NFL in particular, you tend to have teams come out of nowhere to get to the Super Bowl and then drop out of the Super Bowl and you know be nowhere the next year. Um, so, so this past weekend, we had you, a Philadelphia resident who likes the Cowboys, who was sort of cheering for the Phillies, uh, for the Eagles, rather. No, I was all in on the Eagles. I was all in in this case because the Patriots have only only extended their argument to be the greatest team of all time. So I, I need that to stop. You, you want that to stop. Okay. I want that to stop. And I just generally find them to be unlikable people. I, I really do. I, I, you know, it was it was noted after the game that the, when the game was over, Tom Brady didn't go to the midfield to shake hands with the uh, Eagles quarterback Nick Foles. He just went right to the locker room. I, I, I you know, I, I mean, I don't think that's a huge deal. I mean, he just lost a heartbreaker. Who knows? I might do that. I'm a very poor loser, to be honest. <laughs> I, honestly, I might do the same thing. I wouldn't want to go shake somebody's hand. Um, but it just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. I don't like them. And I happen to, even as a Cowboys fan who generally is predisposed to dislike anybody, any other team from the NFC East, this particular Eagles team this year is extraordinarily likable. I said it to Maltz last week that they've got these guys who are just, just likable guys. I mean, the one guy donated his whole salary to local schools. I mean, how do you not love that? I, I mean, it's just That's like right. – Boy, that just seems like it. And, and they're just doing great things in the city. They've been doing it since before this really reached a fever pitch. But they're they're just really good guys. And they sold all those dog masks. So, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. good for somebody. So, anyway, we had to record today because tomorrow we're uh, we're having a parade here in Philadelphia. And by, where by parade, it pretty much means uh, the entire city is shut down. <laughs> I mean, like, literally. <laughs> like, they're, they're shutting the city down tonight. Uh and I don't think they're so. Real. Are the schools closed? Schools are closed, man. They're not even pretending that kids are going to school. It's no school. <laughs> schools are closed, which is really kind of awesome. I, honestly, I mean, it's Jonas has never been more interested in sports than when he found out that that uh, he gets out of a <laughs> he day. Can of get school. a day off of school. <laughs> yeah, but and you know, I just don't think people people don't realize it, it's you know, 
it it really means a lot to this city. It's a city that hasn't had a championship team since the 2008 Phillies. And prior to the 2008 Phillies, I said this last Oof, week, I should have done it. 25 years. Uh, before that, it was the 83 Sixers. And that's a that's long right. 80, yeah, 83 they, to 2008 sounds like a long time. And from 83 until Sunday, only have one sneak in the middle was the Phillies. It's, you know, it's been a long time. And, but of all the teams in the city, the one that's most beloved is the Eagles, without question. I don't think there's anybody, it doesn't matter how big a Sixers fan or Phillies fan or even, or certainly Flyers fan that you might be, no one would argue that this isn't an Eagles town. And there's nothing they want more than to win a Super Bowl. And they went 50, 52 Super Bowls and only yep. made it to two and lost both. So people went nuts. And well, to have them win it, in in quite arguably the most extraordinary Super Bowl game in history is just icing on the cake. I mean, and, and again, I know there's probably some people who've already stopped the show, but that's all right. But if you're into it, it it's it's mathematically it's extraordinary that in the it's not in the history of the Super Bowl, which is 52 games, or or the history of the playoffs in the NFL, which is I guess a thousand or so games. In the history of the NFL, every game that has ever been played in the National Football League, the game on Sunday had the most total yardage ever. And it was by a long shot. They broke the record in the third quarter. In the third quarter, they had already racked up more total yardage between both offenses than any game in the NFL. And and when I was watching, I was watching in this big, big room in a Vegas in a, in a casino filled with, I don't know, a couple thousand people and all of these big jumbotrons and um, real noisy. That's why that, that it's so noisy that that's why I think I'm half the reason I'm hoarse. Um, but everybody was just sort of looking at each other, like in the third quarter, like when it, when the halftime, the first half was terribly exciting. And then, you know, you got the, the big long halftime show. And then the third quarter starts up and third quarter just takes it up a notch on both sides. And neither team, every time every team touches the ball, they score. And everybody right. was just sort of looking at each other saying like, am I nuts? Am I, am I drunk? What's going on? This is, this is like crazy, right? This is crazy. And when they came up with that stat that this was the most yardage in any game, not any playoff game, any game ever. And we're only in the third quarter and it's the, it's the Super Bowl, which is often a very defensive game. We were like, okay, this is crazy. Well, that was the thing. Nobody was playing defense. I mean, if you, if you like defensive football, this was not a very good game at all. Right. That's my theory. My, yeah, fun, that, my fundamental theory of all, where all pro football is going. All the stats I saw going. were that, like, sorry, go ahead. Well, my fundamental theory is that this is that's where football's going, is to be a more basketball-like game, meaning... Just constant scoring. Yeah, constant scoring and, and much fa- a faster pace. Both teams... Uh, I was going to say, all the, all the stats I saw were about... It was about the Pats and how they're... You know, they got over 600 yards, and that's the only time anyone has ever lost a game doing that. Right. And, you know, it's, they've got, they got all these great records, right. except for the fact that they lost this game. Right. So Brady personally had 500, 500 plus yards passing and three touchdowns and no interceptions, and no quarterback who's ever done that. Again, in every single game that league has ever played for like roughly 100 years, probably about 90 years, uh, every game. That's ever happened. Anytime a quarterback has done that, they've won the game. Because you would think, well, they ha- how could you lose? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you can lose. Because your defense the- was just slightly worse than the other team's defense. And the other team only had one time that they touched the ball that they didn't score. Both teams, I believe, had one time they touched the ball that didn't score. One time the Eagles punted, and then at the end of the game, the towards the end fumbled. of the game, one time Brady got hit and fumbled. 
Yep, which is, I think that's. I know they didn't. I know they didn't punt. So that sounds right. Why? Usually, when you watch, and historically, at least when you watch the Super Bowl, you think, "My God, it's hard to score in this league." You either have to right. do something crazy, or you, you got to get a lucky break, or whatever. And you just, and there's times where it's like punt, 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 and you're like, "My God, there's no way. How the hell does anybody score in this game?" Whereas in that game, it was like, <laughs> "Does the other team even have eleven men on the field?" <laughs> Well, congratulations to the city of Philadelphia. Oh, it's going to be something. Hope, hopefully, the city stands up to this. <laughs> I, you know, they've—I guess they're greasing the polls again. I heard that they were not going to grease the polls. I think I told Moltz last week they were—they were going to stop because the idea was that uh, they Criscoed up the polls. We have a tradition here in town where, when, when a if Philadelphia team wins, the fans will <laughs> climb up the street poles uh, for whatever reason. Um, so the cops. To, what you do? Well, the cops to to uh, to to I don't know fight against this because they don't want people prevent to prevent this. Yeah. Prevent it. They they greased them up with Crisco before the uh, the Vikings game, and it didn't stop them. And then you are the one who sent me the link that they. What'd you say? They're training for this. That in South yeah. Philadelphia, it's a tradition. Like on certain holidays during like an Italian festival or yeah, something. That they uh, they per- they grease they they themselves grease the poles and then they have a contest. And then uh, and they put something on top of the pole, grease right. it, and then everybody tries to climb it. So yeah, they're, they're training for this event. Right. Uh, and so that didn't work. They they criscoed up the poles and people climbed them anyway. And so the word was they're not going to crisco them up again. Uh, but what they did is they replaced it with some sort of industrial grease. I don't I don't know how much. Better yeah, it was it like it. some kind of oil or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so did it work though? I I, I saw a bunch of street poles on the ground. I don't yeah, know if that I, was from climbing or just destruction people, in general. Yeah, maybe people getting angry that they were so well greased up. Where it's like, well, if I can't <laughs> climb it, I'm going to take it down. I might as well knock it over. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. I saw there were a couple of street poles knocked over, and I, I guess if you just get a couple people rocking it back and forth, you can do it. But it certainly, you know, I've walked by and just given them a knock this week, and it certainly seems like most of them are pretty sturdy. So it's pretty Im- impressive. Hopefully, the parade will go off all right. And is it? It doesn't go by your house, does it? Did Did you say it no. goes by Jonas's school? It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> right by the school. Yeah, I'm, so I, he might not have a school come Friday. Yes, yeah, if he's the luckiest kid in the world, that's what he's rooting. Not for. only does he get a day off, he gets the whole rest of the year off. Yeah, he's rooting for chaos. We're nearby. It's Center City, Philadelphia. Is very, very small given the size of Philadelphia proper. Center City, Philadelphia is very small. So we're we're nearby. We could walk. We have a couple of choices of of which way to go. Um, but I think I think our house will be all right. I don't know. Anything else you wanted to talk about, Paul? No, I think we covered it. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I, I, I mean, I don't know how much you, you get into the politics, but I did have uh, – I did a quick interview that uh, I thought maybe we could just a real quick touch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you know, feel free to cut this out, but I, I was able to reach my good pal Barry Obams, and I got his take on the current president of the United States – uh, and it's it's just a five second take. I don't know if if, if you'd like okay. to hear what Barry Obama's thinks of, of sure. President Donald Trump. Now you know that guy ain't shit. Sorry, <laughs> that motherfucker got nothing on me, right? Nothing. <laughs> and you know, it's it's it was it was from the heart he spoke. So <laughs> letting it fly, let Tell, it out there, telling it as it is. Uh, my thanks to Paul and his his. Uh, 
sidekick Farago over there. Um, <laughs> I've got some links. I promise they'll be in the show notes. There's a great designing Farago uh, story on the, the Rogue Amoeba blog talking about the design of it. Uh, it's a terrific app. Hope it does very well. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what to say. It's like I almost wish that the Patriots had gotten blown out. I could stick it to you. I feel like there's something noble in a five-time championship team also having the single greatest performance and indisputably the single greatest performance in a loss in Super Bowl in history. A loss, yeah. Right? Like there's there's some way to measure uh like when you count the greatness of teams in all times, certain losses are better than others. You know what I mean? Like your Buffalo Bills, the time that they lost on a wide right kick at the last second yep. by two points. Well that counts for something different than when the Cowboys beat them 55 to 10 or whatever the hell the score was <laughs> that's what it was it was 55 to 10 so I, w- I would say scoring a touchdown every time you have the ball <laughs> except once and then still scoring a minute later <laughs> almost scoring a minute later uh certainly counts for something it's, there's something certainly it's certainly a noble loss oh did you see the crazy thing before we sign off did you see the crazy thing with the offensive coordinator on the the pats yeah, Josh McDaniels. So, Josh McDaniels so had agreed. He was supposed to go to Indy and be it, their head coach. And, had, and gotten, I guess, had gotten so far that they had already scheduled a charter plane to take him there today for the big introduction. And he'd already signed a bunch of assistant coaches who quit their jobs at other teams and had already been signed and are under contract for next year. And <laughs> somehow Belichick and team owner Bob Kraft said, hey, maybe do you want to stay and he said, "Okay, Indianapolis. Never mind." <laughs> it's a real, it's a real kick in the pants for the Colts, but you know they deserve whatever they get for stealing the team in the first place. So it's, whatever. Yeah, it's sort of. I, I kind of had the same thought there, where uh, it's kind of what you get. Anybody who doesn't know the backstory on that, the Indianapolis Colts. Oh God. It, long story short, in terms, we want to think like, hey, I feel that doesn't sound right that a team would lose their their new coach like that but what happened with the indianapolis colts was they were the uh, baltimore Colts, the beloved baltimore colts for decades and the team owner art what was his name model art model uh for whatever reason decided he would move the team to indianapolis and knew it wouldn't be popular and so he had a bunch of moving trucks show up it literally in the middle of the night in baltimore and moved everything out of their stadium <laughs> in the middle of the night and drove it all to indianapolis <laughs> And then announced it there that they were leaving the city of Baltimore. Needless to say, did not did not go well in in Baltimore. I forget if but it was you, Art Modell was the owner. Art no, Modell might have been the, the wrong man. He was he's the one that eventually got the Ravens. He's the Browns. I mean, he was a, right, he was right, the Browns right. owner exactly. Right. No, right. it was uh, right. so I forget, it was Bob Ursay. It was the it was the father of the current owner. That's right. That's right. Ursay. Right. So Modell they got the, exactly what they deserved. Modell's the guy who screwed the Cleveland over, not not screwed Baltimore over. Well, but he didn't screw Cleveland over the way Baltimore got screwed over because when when they left Cleveland, Cleveland knew they were getting a team back in like two years or something. And that they would get to keep the name. The Browns name, exactly. He didn't steal – that's exactly right. He didn't steal the Browns name. Right. He took the team. uh, And when you have a storied success like the Cleveland Browns (laughs) – Like the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Where the only good thing in your team's history – was the great Jim Brown, who so hated the team owner that while he was indisputably the single greatest player active in the league, he quit so he could just go make action movies. 
when that's the finest achievement your franchise has ever achieved, you certainly want to keep that name and brand. You got to hold on to that name, yeah. Yeah. And and that beautiful color scheme. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Paul Kafastis, Rogue Amoeba, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I'll see you in 100 episodes. <laughs> thank you. Sounds good.